Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's a free-for-all edition Flyover Politics Podcast. Woohoo! There's two things to think about. Number one is the law and whether it makes sense legally to be out there speaking and everything else. From that perspective, it's damning. All those things yeah. you heard him say on TV mm-hmm. are going to be played in a courtroom That's in the right. event this goes to trial yeah. and it's going to crush him. Now, yeah. from a public relations imperative, your people say, oh, get in front of the cameras, express what happened, show some, you know, show some real anger, and show some this, that, the other. The fact is that it's works from a public polished. relations perspective, yeah. exactly. but it doesn't work in this perspective. It doesn't work. And listen, again, I want you to say I have nothing but the utmost respect for my friends at ABC and other things. Right. They And, and I, Robin did a terrific job on that interview. I'm just talking about how you respond to this sort of crisis. That doesn't really work anymore, and I think that it, that is old school. This is playing out every single moment yeah. in cable news. Sean Hannity is going to eat Jussie Smollett's lunch every single second. Tucker Carlson is going to eat Jussie Smollett's lunch every single second. President of the, the United president States. of the United States That's is right. going to eat his lunch, and who does the president of the United States watch every night? You. Cable news. Yeah, well, cable news. <laughs> that's and so right. that's all I'm saying. That's well, all well, I'm saying. Well, the pushback on this needs to be that the framing cannot be that simply because of this one case that all I the agree. Uh, that all the other victims that come forward are somehow so no true, longer Midwin, believed. But you know that's, that's really what important. the narrative's going to be. <laughs> I know, but right? I know, but it's time yeah. that you, you you know it's time that we stop being led by other people. Let's talk about let's talk about the, about the Chicago police too, mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't trust the police, and I know the police are. Um, you can a, a good lawyer can get you out just about anything, right? Or reduce whatever it is that you're going to suffer. In the court of public opinion, Jussie has lost. He's right. lost the fight in the court of yeah. public opinion, yeah. and that's where his battle is. Whether legally, if he has to go, whatever he has to serve, if it's jail time, if he has to do probation, if he has to pay, whatever. But in the court of public opinion, it, it matters. It, it matters, and he lost yeah. that because of how and not his fault maybe people were i don't know what they were saying to him how maybe because of his representatives I, who, who knows i don't know but if it was it's handled poorly fault. i don't know if it's not his fault don the you fact think it's is, his fault you think he was is, doing what he wanted well he went out and he gave the interview so understand this from a it, now let's talk from a defense perspective there's two things to think about number one is yeah. the law and whether it makes sense legally to be out there speaking and everything else from that perspective, it's damning. All those yeah. things you heard him say on TV mm-hmm. are going to be played in a courtroom That's in the right. event this goes to trial. It's going to crush him. Now, yeah. from a public relations imperative, your people say, oh, get in front of the cameras, express what happened, show some, you know, show some real anger, and show some this, that, the other. The fact is that it's works from a public polished. relations perspective, yeah. exactly. but it doesn't work in this perspective. It doesn't work. And listen, again, I want you to say I have nothing but the utmost respect for my friends at ABC and other things. They and Robin did a terrific job on that interview. I'm just talking about how you respond to this sort of crisis. That doesn't really work anymore, and I think that that is old school. This is playing out. 
And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. This is the 24th of February, year of our Lord, 2019. And that was Lemon. Oh, we got a lot of that today. We have so much. We're not having music breaks. I'm going to split a file that's almost 10 minutes long of just excuses. All of them. The ones you thought. It's because of racist America. He at least gets us talking about it. It's Trump. Yeah. I was going to play the Chicago PD one, but it literally, well, let me play it. For me, this isn't the best thing ever, but let's listen and discuss. And we all love and work hard in, in a negative connotation, you know, to, to insinuate and to stage a hate crime of that nature when he knew as a celebrity, it would get a lot of attention. It's just despicable, you know, it, 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 it makes you wonder what's going through someone's mind to do something like that. So yeah, I saw a couple of parts of it and, and I was angry by it, to be quite honest. Some conservatives took it as what, that you have Trump supporters? Is that what he's saying? Or is it the hate crime? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but anyway, it's a free for all edition, as we know, by the lead in music. We're going to do Jesse first, then we do a large violent left section, because we have a couple of attacks today. A media bias section, 2020 section, and news and social media nuggets with a long version. A long version. So, to get short podcast sounds would be hard on this, because there's so many, and I want the full context. So you're going to hear a lot of sounds today, unfortunately. Because there's just a lot of crazy shit. And, oh, by the way, we're, we're going to do our uh, America, uh, this is America 2019. I have a soundbite I put together. I even have Brooke Baldwin, so it'll be fun. But uh, this was put out by a conservative on Twitter. It is two minutes of the initial reports. So before we even go into this, I want you to hear the initial reports. And I want to hear, I want you to hear or listen for. We speak English. Do you ever hear the word alleged? It's been two weeks since that night left actor Jesse Smollett bruised but not broken. And he's still processing the raw emotions. A horrific middle-of-the-night attack on Empire's Jesse Smollett. A brutal attack in Chicago. A brutal beating. A brutal attack. Just as heinous as you might imagine. The horrific details. Yeah, troubling details there, Brooke, when you think about this. Choked with a rope and doused with a chemical. This is horrible to report. This one is so hard to process. It's a pretty disturbing incident. And certainly there are many indications of a hate crime here. Danny, this is a horrible story. It gets worse. One of the offenders wrapped a rope around Smollett's Of course, our thoughts and prayers with Jesse. Absolutely despicable. The circumstances are just horrific. This is America in 2019. Terrible. Uh, Terrible indeed. This is stomach-turning, mind-boggling information. Why do you think you were targeted? I come really, really hard against 45. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats. And there is no doubt in your mind what motivated this attack. I could only go off of their words. Mala told them his attackers also yelled, MAGA country, make America great again. The president ought to come out and say, if his brand does not represent these kind of alleged attacks, that he uh, 
stands to say that his brand represents something else. His silence is deafening. Support for Smollett exploding online from Hollywood A-listers to political heavyweights. Senator Cory Booker called the attack a, quote, modern-day lynching. There have been some comments among some kind of questioning whether or not the story of the attack is real, is reliable. So they don't have any reason to believe that um, this could be a hoax. What is it that has you so angry? Is it the the attackers? It's the attackers, but it's also the attacks. What kind of words of encouragement did you give him? Um, I just told him to walk in his truth. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? Um, I don't know. I still want to believe with everything that has happened that there's something called justice. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. I never heard it. And to the conspiracy that is, well, we do have local reporters like Seltzer. Here's a Rafer Weagle. For those asking me why I only went on Sean Hannity, Ingram Angle, Shannon Bream, Fox News to talk Jesse Smollett, and not any other, simply they're the only national TV shows that asked me to come. I mean, that's... That's what it comes down to. There's a cleaning day going on behind me. So if you hear my wife's voice yelling at dogs, just bear with it. It won't last all day. Um, But, you know, the fact of the matter is, Seltzer, who brought it up that we, this isn't the media, we didn't do anything wrong. He's still carrying water for the dim lynching statements. And Seltzer. So, Brian, uh I under, you've gotten a statement from Smollett's attorneys. What are, what are they saying? And is Mark Garagos now one of those attorneys? Uh, he was reported to be in talks to work with Jesse Smollett. It's unclear if he's actually agreed yet. Right now, his existing attorneys are speaking out saying, like any other citizen, Mr. Smollett enjoys the presumption of innocence, particularly when there has been an investigation like this one, where information, both true and false, has been repeatedly leaked. Given these circumstances, we intend to conduct a thorough investigation and to mount an aggressive defense. But what a change from just a few days ago when the attorneys for Dusty Smollett were saying he was the victim of a hate crime. Hey, they're not saying that anymore, Anderson. I mean, it does seem if he faked this attack, it would seem to reason that that uh, note that was received at the station a couple days before this, uh, you know, with cut out writing from magazines, that that could very easily have been faked as well. It makes you wonder if he was seeking attention first with this note and then with this staged attack. That's where the mind immediately goes when you hear about these circumstances. There were rumors that maybe he was worried he was being ridden off the show Empire. Fox denied any plans to write him off the show. They said he's a valued member of the cast. But tonight, Anderson Fox has no new comment about his status or about these charges. Looking at this, there was clearly a rush to judgment in some quarters a few weeks ago. Many journalists were very careful, but some ended up dropping the word alleged out of headlines the way they should have. And there were a lot of liberal celebrities and activists who rushed to his corner, assuming he was telling the truth. Smollett took advantage of a lot of people by doing that. He took advantage of a lot of people uh, by making the impression that he was a victim in this case, if in fact he was lying. There were a lot of Democratic candidates saying this was a modern-day lynching. This turns out to be more of a modern-day lie if the police are right. It certainly also makes it difficult for you know, people who are actual victims of crime, victims of uh, bias attacks of one form or another, 
uh, you know, it makes it makes it harder for them to come forward. Uh, and it also was obviously just a, a waste of police resources. Uh, you have to, I think there were 12 detectives on, on this case. Um, you know, they could have been out doing uh, uh, other things. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how long Smollett sticks with this story. Yes. Uh, as as the evidence, uh, you know, continues to uh, to be turned up. We got to leave it there. Uh, Brian Selter, thanks very much. Thanks. A uh, quick reminder, don't miss Full Circle, our daily interactive newscast on Facebook. So while the media and the left are trying to contextualize this as a good thing for America, and he's just calling out, now there's a million reasons, and he's a drug addict, crack, I mean, whatever. National Review, hate crime hoax reflective of America's sickness. It is a sickness. Everybody wants to be a victim. The Atlantic, why is the world why in the world would Jesse Smollett fake something like that attack if he did indeed fake it? And this is after it's been proven he did. Tatiana McGrath, um she's an intersexualist poet. It is absolutely essential that we believe Jesse Smollett. If we don't, other people who haven't been attacked might not have the courage to come forward. Believe Jesse. Phil McCletchen, you're bringing me to a whole new level of wokeness. My intersectional categories just grew to include people who haven't been attacked. I mean, seriously. AP Central U.S. Actor Jesse Smollett was accused in 2007 of giving his younger brother's name. There it is. See, I said it. Fake name. He's just like a guy on fucking live PD. I don't trust the police, so I lie. Writer for Empire deleted their account after this. All I know is Robert Egas, ABC7, needs to be out of a job. There's irresponsible irresponsible journalism, and then there's what he is and ABC7 Chicago did tonight. Emboldening the haters. I've written on Empire from day one, and no one ever discussed writing Jesse off. Ever. Knock it off. They wrote him off. The GQ story I read last time, update 2, 221. Smollett was arrested this morning on charges of falsifying a police report on 220. This story is fast moving and we're keeping an eye on the news as it develops. When this piece was originally written, we were operating with then set of facts and documented by official police reports. No retraction. It's what I say. They don't retract. Variety, several people, including Jordan Peele, Michael B. Jordan, Nancy Pelosi, have deleted their tweets. Variety, Cheryl Lee Ralph on Jesse Smollett. Is it a big, bad mistake? Absolutely, but a lot of people have made some awful, awful, big, bad mistakes. Some people have even killed people. They're walking around free. Another one that I've heard all over the place, but Trump. On CNN, Jesse Smollett's sibling, blame the media. My son sent me this, Zach in Tennessee. This is the media, an irresponsible media. It will make the criminals look like he's the victim and make the victim look like he's the criminal. If you aren't careful, the media will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. It's a meme, Malcolm X. Matthew Dowd, of all the stories that have come out this week, the Smollett case shouldn't even be in the top ten of our focus. Those of us in the media and political folks at all levels should really drink from a jug of perspective. I'm getting to a point in a second. Associated Press, Brian Williams, Matty Teo, and now Jesse Smollett. Here's a look at public figures accused of bending the truth. Bending. For conservatives, it's bending. For 
or sorry, for Democrats, it's bending. For conservatives, we must believe everybody. There's no bending the truth. They're a fucking liar. How many times has Trump been called a liar? Seriously. So I'm going to outline what you're going to hear from music today. I know it's an, an, an unorthodox way of doing things, but it's it's just too long. As the these days went on, it's been, what, four days I did a podcast? They just kept coming. You have multiple K-parts just being K-part. He's a gay guy, so he can't believe this. Geist, the media should have been rooting for this outcome. But they didn't. They root for another one. Lemon Moore. He's an icon. He he's an icon. And then there's even an interview from Robert Roberts of the Jesse Smollett character on Empire, and it was a harder interview than the interview in real life, which I thought it was great. I have another one. I'm not going to play it. It's actually some female African American lady. I guess she's a important person. It's black men's fault. That's what she's saying. Black men, their fault. That Jesse had to even do this. I mean, I mean that makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know if it does, but okay. But I want to end on two articles on this, and I think that is the end of this. I'm trying to stay. No, no, there's a funny one. Here's a funny one. XXL Magazine. I think my brother sent me this or Zach in Oregon sent me this, or Matt in Oregon. So either Zach in Tennessee or Matt in Oregon are the people that did this, because I want to give credit for people that find stuff. Um, I was bruised, but my ribs were not cracked. They were not broken. I went to the doctor immediately. I was not hospitalized. Both my doctor in L.A. and Chicago cleared me to perform. Above all, I fought like fuck the fuck back. I'm the gay Tupac, Jesse Smollett. Well, 50 cents put gay Tupac and made a meme. It is so funny because, you know, 50 cents, he's been shot like a million times or some shit. But, um. There was Federalists, hate hoaxes are what happens when your religion is identity politics. The first time I've seen it in print, I'm not saying I coined the phrase, but I've been calling it a religion. Progressivism as a religion, how progressivism's morality fails, and what we need is a real religion again. People really need real religion. You know, I, I, I want to get like, I, I think I'm going to play it. I think I have it on here. I, well, I don't know if I have it. Hold, hold on a second. Let's see if we have this, because it's one of my favorite lines from a movie. Ah, shit, I don't have any more. But it's, it's a scene from Bad Boys where the African-American, you two need Jesus, because that's really where we're at. I mean, people need Jesus. They need something, man, because they have replaced it with their politics. I mean, another article, liberals don't believe Jesse Smollett because we're stupid. We believe him because of what Trump has done to America. What has he actually done? I don't I don't know. Um, so, here's Tucker and Concha. And then you're going to hear a sound that I haven't played since the beginning. I mean, like the first couple podcasts, I want to say. We got email, motherfucker. Well, before he claimed that white supremacists beat him up on the street, most people had never heard of Jesse Smollett. And after he became a victim, everybody wanted to be his friend. Here's Don Lamont over on CNN bragging about how he texts his new pal Jesse every single day. 
He's got Jesse's cell number. That's how close they are. Really tight. My concern is for him. Right. Right. And for his well-being. Every day, I say, I know you think I'm annoying. I can show you a text. I know you think I'm annoying you, but I just want to know that you're doing... Oh, okay. That you're okay. Yeah. If you need somebody, you can talk to me. Because there's not a lot Lot of of us us out there. Right. Sometimes he responds, sometimes he doesn't. He responds and says, you are not annoying. You can talk to me, Don Lamont says, because there aren't a lot of us out there. Well, here's the translation. Us means people who've been oppressed in the ways that Jesse Smollett has been oppressed. Lamont is letting you know that he's in that group, too. Yes, he's a highly paid news anchor with his own TV show. And yet, like Jesse Smollett, Don Lamont is a holy victim. So there's a mad scramble over who's the victim here. Who is the victim? Well, there is one. What Smollett did was not a victimless crime. There's no such thing as that. An entire group of people did get slandered by this hoax. Regular people from outside the coastal cities. People with the wrong political beliefs and the wrong skin color. Smollett and his many defenders savagely attacked these people and are not apologizing for doing it. Instead, they're telling you, you hear this everywhere, that the real losers here are the authentic victims of hate crimes who won't be believed the next time. Okay, that's fine. But what about the innocent Americans they just poured venom on for two weeks because it matched some bigoted stereotype they had about middle America? What about them? There's no mention of them. Donald Lamont would very much like to keep up those attacks on those people. Attacking them allows him to feel oppressed. That is why when Smollett was finally caught, Lamont reacted in a very puzzling way. He didn't seem especially concerned that his buddy had lied to further divide the country to hurt America, which he did. No, that wasn't the real problem. The real problem, according to Don Lamont, is that Smollett's arrest might discredit the cult of victimhood. This is playing out every single moment in cable news. Sean Hannity's going to eat Jussie Smollett's lunch every single second. Tucker Carlson is going to eat Jussie Smollett's lunch every single second. Yeah. Because when you tell the truth about a hate hoax, you're the real hate. Well, the press, known, of course, especially the national press, particularly CNN, for its scrupulous political neutrality. So it goes without saying that the hiring of a single middle-of-the-road former Republican staffer has people hysterical about bias. Former DOJ spokeswoman Sarah Isger Flores was just hired by CNN as deputy political editor. According to that creepy kid who covers media for CNN, the staff over there were furious. One unnamed reporter called it a, quote, disaster and said there were ethical implications to working for someone who publicly supported Trump. Of course, there are quite a few former Obama staffers on the CNN payroll. No problem. Here to tell us more about all of this is media reporter Joe Concha, who covers the press for The Hill. Good to see you, Joe. So, um, hey, just for the record, I, Sarah Isger Flores, I, I know well, and I, I think a lot of her, but I, my impression is never that she was some florid right-winger. I mean, I don't know, but I certainly don't have that impression of her. Is she, and why the hysteria over this? Well, she's worked with some pretty moderate Republicans, whether you're talking about Mitt Romney or Carly Fiorina. Obviously, she was Jeff Sessions' spokesperson. And you're right, the headlines are incredible here. CNN hires GOP operative with no journalism experience to coordinate its 2020 coverage. That was Vox. Esquire, CNN just set the new standard for corporate media's chicken stuff catering to Republicans. Again, CNN catering to Republicans. Every analysis and study I've seen has been overwhelmingly negative towards the president (laughs) and the administration. But, But let's put it this way. Let's say CNN hired Valerie Jarrett's daughter, okay? 
And she was assigned to cover the Trump DOJ, despite having no journalism experience whatsoever. Do you think that Esquire, Vox, and all of these other publications would be going nuts right now over a hiring like that of somebody who has no journalism experience but obviously has a bias? And the answer is, we already know the answer because that actually happened in 2017. And you could go down the list. I mean, really? look at George Stephanopoulos. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course you didn't. It was barely reported. I, mean, I, I wrote about it, I think, uh, two years ago, but it, there wasn't a lot of coverage on that. I got an email from Jesse in Virginia. First of all, thanks for the nice email. It's really nice of you. And stick with it. You know, it's I'm three years into this, and I don't have that many people listening to me. I mean, I've had some days where I've had like two, three hundred people listen, and it just it what it. It is what it is. I mean, there's a million podcasts. They're everywhere. And the big names are always going to get it. When you go to any of your feeds from, you know, Google to Apple, you're not on the cover. You have to search for yourself. And sometimes it's even hard to find yourself because, like mine in case, you know, I, I put the K on it because there was already a flyover politics. It was some radio show. They did it for like five or nine episodes. And then they went away. But uh, your your question was more about my kit. So what I started with was a Samson podcast kit. It was like $200. I got it at a music store um, in Clarksville. Um, and it came with a bass. It had all the connections. So you could put it on booms. And it was a really nice mic. But then my sis, Jen in Colorado, uh, a couple Christmases ago, got me this Blue Yeti Blackout. It's, it's a great Mike, um, just fantastic. And she got me a mixer. She got me the boom. She got me all sorts of shit. I mean, it was a huge, huge Christmas present that she shouldn't have done because it cost too much money. So once I got that, I, I really needed a dedicated computer. I was using laptops and even laptops with six gigs and stuff. They, they don't process that well. And you could tell you, you're killing your computer. So I was killing my laptop. So I got a Dell uh, 16 gigs of RAM. It has a video card on it. It it's awesome. I mean, it it just this is what I use it for. I don't use it for the internet. I just use it to run this podcast. I have um, two monitors, a 24 and a 26 that I split. One's on computer cable, one's on HDMI because I made sure that the desktop I got built at Dell, which, you know, I think I paid 550 for the desktop. You, you can go through one of their sales and then you just upgrade because it'll come with like eight gigs of RAM, have a terabyte hard drive, just kit yourself 16 gigs. It's like a hundred bucks more and you're good to go. Um, I use Audacity. I've tried all the other ones. I've gotten free ones. I've gotten programs that came with the mics. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff out there, but I like Audacity because it really works well with Windows. I can have multiple windows open. I can be, ex, you know, uh, editing something over here and then making a part and copying and pasting to an op- you know, a new window so that I can come back and slap it in. It's just really easy. Um, I have a... Uh, let me see. It's an Inno Gear Boom. I want to someday buy the $150 uh, actual boom for the Yeti. It's more sturdy. This one um, is great. You know, I'm not dogging what Sis got me, but sometimes the weight weighs it down. You have to keep adjusting it. 
And, you know, it's probably more to do with the desk I use. Um, it's not really a podcast desk. It's one of those glass uh, desks with the multiple levels on one side and a flat section in the center. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. Um, I have a uh, Sam, Sam Scon foam aluminum sound barrier that's on top of the mic. I use that to kind of block the echo up. Um and a Pimo Tech pop filter, which is the last podcast was the first time I put that one on. <clears throat> it slaps right on. I've used all the different ones. Big Sis got me one, and I had a cheap one that I got on Amazon. And, you know, you attach it to something and you bend it, but it always gets in your way. And as I spoke on the last podcast, you have to back off the mic because the thing just a pain in the ass. So um, if you have a Yeti mic, I really say get that Pimo Tech pop filter. It slaps right on this thing. You rubber band it on, and it's beautiful uh for christmas one year my sister got me a sound panel from griffin it's about two we- two feet by 14 inches and it's right behind the mic on the desk um it can be mounted but with the boom arm i have i can't mount it um it's too heavy that's why i want to get the heavy duty one that i can you know eventually squeeze out of the wife and then i'd attach it to the desk instead of one of the levels and then I could stick this beautiful panel on it and it would just be awesome. It would just totally block the sound. But those have been on the podcast a long time. I have moved this thing so many times. Um, So my soundproofing is kind of portable and I do it on purpose. I, I started in the living room. I went to the sunroom. I went to a back room. I went to the basement for a long time. And the basement was probably the best place to record because, you know, it was a finished room. And on the roof there, you, you know, you had all the insulation. It still exposed. We haven't done the drop ceiling yet. Um, cause we don't use it when the kids were here. We used it as a den. Um, but long story short, sound damping was fantastic. And the wall was, you know, uh, sheetrock but it was for some reason it would just trap it where i put this it was by the back wall and it was fantastic but what i've done is i've got i went to hobby lobby and bought uh two inch foam it's used for stuffing chairs and seat cushions and stuff like that but you know it really works well as a soundproofing so the front wall behind the sound board that i have the giffen one um it's coated the sides next to me because I'm in a corner of a room next to a door. It's coated with that. To the left, I made a panel that's about four by four, and it's those twelve by twelve soundproofing you buy at Amazon. It's about twenty bucks. You get twelve feet of it, and I glued it onto that board so that can move with me if I move this again. Uh, over the top, I have a camo net that kind of damps down, but you know I do have the um, sound panel on top of the mic that helps. And then behind me, I have a six-foot-long by three-foot piece of soundproofing, professional, that I got on Amazon, and I just erected it from the sound panel to the to the right wall, and it kind of traps the sound behind me a little bit. It's not perfect. You know, someday I'd, I'd love to erect a very simple frame, two-by-four cubicle in the basement and just put soundproofing you know, or just insulation itself would work and make the roof about five feet, you know, duck in there and I'm good to go. Uh, it would be great, but you know, I'm not there yet. So, um, that's my kit. 
Um, you're always going to have echoes for those who have been in the show a long time. That's why the Samsung kick, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't want to just have a little booth like I can do in my house because it's just me and the wife, the Samsung kit's a great starter kit. It's portable. I did it in hotel rooms, and those that can remember, there was ones where there was a huge echo, and there was ones where there wasn't an echo, and that, you know, I would always apologize, but, you know, that was a great portable kit. It even came in a little suitcase. Um, so I suggest that one to start, but... If you don't want to spend that much money, I've recorded on snowballs, 60 bucks. A snowball, little blue snowball. It sounded fantastic. I actually sent that to Jen in Colorado. She's supposed to be doing segments, which she hasn't, that she was going to insert in the show. Um, but that's a great mic. Pretty much anything from blue microphone is worth it. Um I think the Yeti blackout that I have is probably the last mic I'll get. They came out with a new one that is just gorgeous, and it's supposed to have a better conversion rate. You know, it captures better, but it's so much money. I'll probably never buy it. I I just want the boom. That's about the only kit I really want. I have a shock mount that I'm going to put on that I've had that I just never put on, and that should help with any time I bump the mic, which I usually don't, but... You should have a shock mount. I've had a couple different ones. You know, some are great. The one that came with the Samsung was good, but it doesn't. It isn't compatible with this. Um, but you know, starting out, just get yourself something simple and do it. Uh, I did it on the phone, and it worked. So um, that's my kit. Thanks for the compliments, Jesse. Uh, Virginia is listening all the time, so I'm assuming that's you, and I thank you. And that's like the first email in a long time, so let's bring it break it back down again. F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. I, I'm going to say it here. I say it in the ending. It's even in the new clothes that we did. All right, I rejiggered the clothes uh, so that it's no longer the website, which will shut down March 30th. Um, we'll just go with Twitter and Facebook. But um, send those emails. You send an email, you get on the show. I used to send, you know, uh, stickers, which means I never sent any. So all the stickers are gone that I had made. But you really, really, really need to participate. I'll do whatever segment you want. And I'm all down with suggestions, especially for the free-for-alls. You know, if you want to hear something new, I'll research it and do it. So send that email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. So we're going to segue into the violent left. And to do that, we're going to do our first music break. And once again, it's going to be a split of media covering for Jesse. That'll be all day. So when we do our break before news and social media nuggets, you'll hear the rest of it. And we're going into the violent left. And when I started this, I literally had one. By the end, I have multiple, which is just pathetic. Well, I've known Jesse for eight years and as a african-american as a black gay man as someone who's just watched his career develop i feel devastated by this it's heartbreaking uh, i'm hoping still in spite of all the overwhelming evidence that's presented that it's not true uh, and he's still innocent until proven guilty because but, it's so uh, yeah possible to believe it's, it's so it's, 
Yeah, I mean, this, everything about this is hard for them to believe. The story itself was hard to believe from the beginning, but then the the reason why he would do it was hard to believe. He had he had a successful career. He he had no reason to do something like this, and the whole idea of doing it for a salary dispute just didn't make any sense. Even now, it doesn't make any sense to me. And there are a lot of incidents like this that many people have seen, like myself. We've seen people. I just mentioned last night there was a guy, a black gay man, who was shot and killed here in New York City when I was the president of the National Black Justice Coalition. Mark Carson. There's a guy in in Los Angeles, Ed Buck, who 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 in his house, two black gay men died in the past two years, and he hasn't been arrested. And a lot of people in my community are thinking, this is not something we want and need. We want attention on the on the issues of black LGBTQ violence and hate crimes. We want it to be focused rightly where it should be, and we don't need a distraction like what this right Jesse now. What does Jesse do to that now, if this is true? I don't know what, how this impacts this. I think there's a there's a lot of argument that says this makes it harder for future cases, and I understand that. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are looking for excuses to make these things harder. Uh, and people haven't paid attention to these cases in the past. They haven't paid attention to the lives of black LGBTQ people or black trans people, regardless of whether they're celebrities. The sad thing is that it took a celebrity for us to even focus attention on this. Uh, but like the police chief said, there are cases that are happening every day, and he hopes, and I hope, that people start focusing on those other cases, not just on, on this one. And Van, this strikes at something you and I have been talking about, not on TV, but with each other quite a bit, finding ways to bring people together. Mm -hmm. this, is the, this is the opposite. I mean, the superintendent says that yeah, this is the opposite of that. Look, I mean, this is, this is the fall of an icon, and, and I, I, I don't think people understand how important he has been in the black community. Empire as a show. Yeah. Uh, to, to have him as a beloved character, I think did a great deal to knock back homophobia in the black community. The fact that Empire has been celebrated, the fact that he has been celebrated, and you see homophobia in the black community through his eyes on this show. This is a Jackie Robinson against homophobia in the black community, an icon, a beloved icon, and now you have the fall of an icon at a time when we need icons, when we need heroes, when we need people who stand up. So the, the level of betrayal, if this is true, Yes. is so deep. You can see it in your voice. You can see it in your face. It's almost hard to get the words out because of how beloved he has been and how hurt we were when we thought that he had been hurt. And so uh, I, I, I want to just say that we still don't know everything. And I don't want to see us rush to judgment on this side, rush to judgment on that side, condemn this, condemn that. That's the part of the thing we've been talking about is yeah. that we're now in the cycle where everybody's got to have an instant, complete opinion every 15 seconds. Yeah. I don't want to do that. What I do want to say is that uh, whatever he is going through to, to, to do what he did uh, has hurt the cause against racism and the cause against uh, homophobia, if it's true. If there is any way that this can be redeemed, I hope it can be. But he owes those same young black gay men that he was addressing in that interview. He owes them not just an apology, but a lifetime of atonement. Uh, because this ain't nothing to play with. This ain't nothing to play with. And if he was playing with it, shame on him. And, you know, it's been um, interesting trying to report on this particular story. And we've done several reports on this show, just the facts straight Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Because you don't want to get into a place where you are, um, you're just sort of speculating about things. Right. 
and we don't know what happened. And a lot of the been, media did that, and in politics, too. A lot of the media. If you, if you look at every single report on this show, it'll show you that it was just stray things. Let's just be real here. Among the most skeptical people, the early skeptics, were black queer folk saying, this just doesn't seem to add up. I hope it's, you know, he's not lying. Right. But this just doesn't add up. Right. Because why? Why do you think they were so skeptical of it? Well, common sense yeah. often always kicks in. Um, I think the the way he had outlined or sort of uh, the, the way the facts were put out, it was a little too perfect. That doesn't work. Come on a show like this or any of my other colleagues and sit down with us live for an hour or however long it takes, answer the questions that need to be answered from real journalists, I shouldn't say that, from journalists who don't have to worry about the entertainment arm of their particular well, company. I... In the court of public opinion, Jussie has lost. He's right. lost the fight in the court of yeah. public opinion. Yeah. And that's where his battle is. Whether Legally, if he has to go, whatever he has to serve, if it's jail time, if he has to do probation, if he has to pay, whatever. But in the court of public opinion... It, it matters. That, it, it matters. And he lost yeah. that because of how, and, and not his fault, maybe people were, I don't know what they were saying to him, how, maybe because of his representatives, I, who, who knows. I, I don't know but if it was it's handled not his poorly. Fault. I don't know if it's not his fault, Don. The you fact think it's is, his fault? You think he was is, doing what he wanted? Well, he went out and he gave the interview. Well, the number of hate groups operating in America hit a record high, according to a new survey. Researchers at the Southern Poverty Law Center said there were 1,020 hate groups in the U.S. last year. That's up about 30 percent since 2014. The increase followed three consecutive years of decline during President Obama's time in office. The center says a quote, and live in American hate movement coincides with President Trump's campaign and presidency. However, some organizations on the list have sued over the hate group and labeled the accu label and accused the center of bias against conservatives. Well, the number of hate groups operating in America hit a record high, according to a new survey. Researchers at the Southern Poverty Law Center said there were 1,020 hate groups in the U.S. last year. That's up about 30 percent since 2014. The increase followed three consecutive years of decline during President Obama's time in office. The center says a quote, and live in American hate movement coincides with President Trump's campaign and presidency. However, some organizations on the list have sued over the hate group and labeled the accu label and accused the center of bias against conservatives. This video of you beating your boyfriend, Warren Hall, everyone's seen it. It's gone viral. Maybe we could, uh, we could stop playing it, please. Oh, sure. But you know that was followed by your involvement in the shooting death of former New York City mayoral candidate Angelo Dubois. So how do you explain all this violence? Well, first of all, that was self-defense, you know. Uh, but it certainly was a unfortunate set of events that took place. But I think, honestly, if you if you talk to anybody that knows me, they would all say that I'm not a violent person. I'm, I'm sorry, Jamal. Got to stop you there because the evidence indicates otherwise. And I want to ask you this. Have you ever considered anger management counseling? No. I'm sorry. I think that what I would want everybody to know about me, Robin, okay. is that... Uh, um, 
when you're born into a certain set of circumstances, you, uh, you just, you, I'm sorry. I have rehearsed all of this foolishness with, with all of my handlers, you know, but, but it's just not true. So, so what is true? What's true is that the entire Dubois family tried to take mine down. And I mean literally take us down. You know, so... Yeah. Can I go in and share this letter? And we're going to do it all together. Yeah. Share it in front of Feinstein. If we're asking her to vote yes on the Green New Deal. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all the You know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I yeah, hear what you're true. saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your, How old your are you job. How old I'm are 16. You I well, can't you didn't vote. vote for me. Well, she, I'm she voted. It doesn't matter. We're the ones well, who are going to be impacted. It doesn't matter. We're going to be the ones who are impacted. I understand that. I have seven grandchildren. I understand it very well. Senator, the cost of and not taking this action is far higher than the cost of what the Green New Deal will be. And there is enormous popularity for this bill around okay. the whole country. Here's and we're asking you to be brave and do this for us and for your grandchildren. Get enough for okay. I'm trying to do the best I can, which was to write a responsible resolution. Any plan that, that doesn't take bold, transformative okay. action is not going to be what we need. We well, need you know better than I do. So I think one day you should run for the Senate. Great. And then you do it your way. But by that time, in the meantime, by that time, there's going to be a big problem. I just won a big election. Now I did put a bumper bumper in there because we're long today, so nothing anybody cares. You know what show you're listening to, so I don't really need to lead into it. And you're going, well, wait a minute, Tony. We're talking about the violent left. What the fuck was that? Well, that was Feinstein. And that's a, a group that is using children, once again, to eat their own. And before I'm playing the actual violence, I want to make sure we understand this is why we have violence. When you will stoop to have children talk shit to adults, why do you think AOC is such an asshat, and she says shit like this. She's the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, repping New York's 14th district. It is AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. From the, from the Bronx. You know what it is. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the building, We out here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are you used to that yet? Are you used to the, no, the chants no, and the love not, and the, no, all the adoration? Crazy. No, it's uh, it's wild. But you know, it's all about just repping where we're from. Mm -hmm. So it's all just about coming back to that. If Trumpito wouldn't have finessed the country and became president, would you have run for Congress? Or would I don't know. I mean, I could I could be just like teaching yeah. in high school right now. Shout out to my pedagogy that. gang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, um, but you know, the times of great challenge can also bring out the best in people, too. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what we're really seeing is that even though things, you know, is hitting the fan right now, um, we're seeing people activate and educate themselves and mobilize and make amazing art and hit the streets and run for office. And that's really when our country is at our best. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, silver lining everything. I'm going to say, she meant to say when shit hits the fan, but she's... They don't want to. Yeah, she's not trying to like have that like soundbite removed out of context and be like she said a boo boo word. Yeah, exactly. So after we tweeted out the promo that you were going to be on the show, we got kind of the effect that you get of the Twitter trolls and the Russian yeah. bots and the people. Yeah. When that kind of stuff happens, do you regret getting into politics or? No, no. I mean, it's it is heavy, but. It, in a weird way, that stuff is validation that you're doing something real, right? Because right? if you're just flying under the radar, just trying to, you know, get your check, like not rock the boat, then what's the point of being in politics? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the point of doing things if you're just trying to maintain a status quo that doesn't help people? You ever look at the timeline, by like, boy, these memes are weak. So weak. Yeah, they're mad trash. Well, they have no Photoshop so skills. Like, that's the thing. They're it, all made of MS Paint. They're exactly. like, oh, Alexandria Ocasio, crazy. Like, no. like, grandma. Yeah, it's like, how do you have a computer that runs both Windows 95 and Twitter at the same time? <laughs> I don't know. They're not, compa like, they're not compatible, me. I don't know. <laughs> so my Twitter mentions, I'm getting a lot of references about cow farts. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a reference to your Green New Deal. Yes. Can you explain that for us? Yes. In the deal, what we talk about is, I mean, and it's, it's true, is that we need to take a look at factory farming. Mm -hmm. You know, period. It's wild. Yeah. And so it's not to say you get rid of agriculture. It's not to say we're going to force everybody to go vegan or anything crazy like that. But it's to say, listen, we got to address factory farming maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast lunch and dinner like let's keep hey, it real. slow down yeah i mean hey but um but we have to take a look at everything and what we need to realize is that climate change is about every choice that we make in our lives you wait, know wait a minute, wait, what do you when you say climate change what are you talking about it was cold yesterday now it's warm yeah it's exactly. warm tomorrow it's the same thing Okay, so all right, enough about that. Why are you trying to take all our money away from us? We just signed the Showtime, and now you're trying to put the wild tax on the billionaire. What's wrong with you? No, 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 seriously, though. Seriously, though. Please look straight to the camera and explain the tax shit for the dumb motherfuckers that keep saying, if I make a million dollars, she's going to take $70 million away from me. So a marginal tax rate is saying if you make more than $10 million in one year, which is a pretty good year. That's a, that's a damn good year. If you make that's some El Chapo shit. Ten million. Yes, seriously. If you make more than ten million in one year, your ten millionth and one dollar gets taxed at seventy percent. Which, by the way, we used to have marginal tax rates mm -hmm. under Republican presidents of ninety percent, and it was when we experienced some of the largest rates of economic. Wow, stupid! Hold that. So. You know what's crazy? Like she totally explained it, and I don't have ten million dollars, but even though I'm just like nah. 
and and it really comes down to the question of isn't 10 million enough like when does it stop yeah when it's too much right too much. like when at what point is it immoral that we're building jeff bezos a helipad when we have the most amount of homeless people in new york city Listen, we appreciate you coming here to check out our new place. We also had a chance to see where you were. Because yes. a couple of weeks ago, we went to Washington, D.C. to check in on the homie AOC to make sure she's good. Was, you know what I'm saying? Was it getting homesick? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm 29. And I know that this is going to be the world that we're going to have to deal with, that we're going to have to live in. And with all due respect to my colleagues, but especially in, like, the Republican Party, it's like, you're not going to have to live with this problem. You're just, I'm sorry. I.e., you're like, too old. I mean, no, but, but seriously, and it's not. And I read it, and I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Because, again, I'm at least trying, and they're not. So the power is in the person who's trying, regardless of the success. If you're trying, you've got all the power. You're driving the agenda. You're doing all this stuff. Like, I just introduced Green New Deal two weeks ago, and it's creating all of this conversation. Why? Because no one else has even tried. Because no one else has even tried. So people are like, oh, it's unrealistic. Oh, it's vague. Oh, it doesn't address this little minute thing. And I'm like, you try. <laughs> you do it. Right. Because you're not. Because you're not. So until you do it, I'm the boss. That's How right. about that? You heard it here. She was raised like those kids. No respect for authority. No respect for your elders. Fuck the cops. They're all evil. ICE is evil. HHS is evil. Military's evil. Unless you're a black president, you're evil. And now she's 29 and she's walking around I'm going to tell you how many hamburgers you can eat. And oh, I'm in charge. She even backed it up online. Yep, if you don't like the new Green Deal, then come up with your own ambitious on-scale proposal to address the global crisis change. Until then, we're in charge and you're just shouting from the cheap seats. So because Feinstein and all the... I guess we're going to call them establishment because I, you know, I know on the right we have establishment and in the media we have establishment media that don't like Trump because he's not what we're supposed to be. Well, I guess the left same way and they look at her foolishness and go, fuck that. And we're not having that bitch on our panel. What the fuck? Cow farts? You can't get a bill cat pass with cow farts. So they're attacking her. And this is why we do the college crazy. This is why I end every show on college crazy. I'm making jokes about it, but it's deadly real. Because children are now being told the planet is ending in 12 fucking years. But Bush was a fear monger. Okay. Republicans were using terrorism that actually does kill people. To win elections. And they're horrible motherfuckers for that shit. But we're telling every child and college student, you're going to die. We're all dying in 12 years. There's no repercussions for that, right? Yeah. Here's your repercussion.
You're not videoing me. Alright, well, we're in public, so I'm, I'm just gonna video it for my own safety because you seem really erratic. You are fucking encouraging violence. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't give you a look. I'm fucking videotaping. You're a fucking. You want to hit me? I'll shoot your ass. Fuck you! Get the fuck out of Fascists, fascists who believe in violence. Yeah. But this is not really the debate. This is how we can change. I did put a hand on him. His language. That was at UC Berkeley. Hayden Williams, a leadership institute field representative, was punched multiple times by an unidentified person calling him a racist bitch. The Leadership Institute and Campus Performance parent organization. At the time of the incident, the alleged victim was helping students re recruit other conservatives for Turning Point USA behind a table the sign that read, Hate Crime Hoax Hurt Real Victims, a reference to Smollett. But at least twice the situation turned violent, and now police are asking for help in identifying the suspect. Motherfucker, you racist little inbred bitch cunt, the man who punched the alleged victim shouted. At one point, the same mad city would shoot Williams. Some students nearby table were laughing, and even one guy was smiling while I was being attacked and trying to hand me his flyer as a joke. Yeah. Problem is, university employee UV Panda cheered the alleged assault with campus police said happened on Tuesday. Oh my God, the mega people on UC Berkeley campus yesterday got punched in the face by someone. This makes me feel emotionally so much better. Panda thanked the apparent attacker, who is yet to be identified, arrested, or anything, for punching conservative activist Hayden Williams, not letting it go unchallenged. Hope you aren't in too much trouble, he added. Yeah. That's why you have that. We brainwash kids. We have millennials run around, think they know everything. And what are they doing? This is from NBC Nashville. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee regrets wearing a Confederate uniform during a fraternity event while in school at Auburn in the fucking 70s. My replies, which have been retweeted and liked a bunch of times. Right now, hundreds of thousands of Tennessee residents visit participate in Civil War battlefields. As a Yankee transplant, millions of Americans visit that reason for that reason, my liberal daughter has my grandson who's a history buff and watches shows on the Civil War. It's our history. It's part of our heritage as Americans for it made our country what it, what it is. Wearing a uniform when they're pretty normal in Tennessee for reenactment compared to blackface KKK Virginia Democrats the damn, that NBC doesn't even cover. Well, small potato hypocrites. By the way, who handed this to you? Some Democratic prog millennial AOC Omar Tlaib anti-sentiment is okay intern 
who think the GND is so doable and great policy, hates Trumps and wears a pussy hat. What the fuck happened at WSMV? All the talents leaving and daily HuffPo SJW silliness, which is the truth. Silliness. It's just silliness. Now we're trying to find everybody who ever did anything on the conservative side because they're so pissed off that they got caught. But it's fed to them. NPR Flax revered SPLC's latest hate report. Any group that's pro-life, any group that's not a liberal cause, is a hate group to that little gay dude who runs it. Mega hats will someday be viewed the same way as KKK hoods. An associate professor at the University of New Brunswick claims that the Make America Great a Hat Again, hat will one day be viewed the same way that Ku Klux Klan hood is viewed today and that Trump supporter elected the president because they are upset that black people have too many rights and that there are too many women in the workplace. He backed this up with zero facts. And then we get our second attack. See this right here? This is the problem. Ignorant ignorant people like this. I'm just trying to sit here and eat a nice meal. Look at it. Yeah, you see this? You see this? People like that. That's the problem. It's the problem with America these days. People are just ignorant. They want to they want to lash out on people who are educated. Unfortunately, this uneducated. Uh, I'm sorry for her friend. She must be so embarrassed. She must be so embarrassed. Okay. Rosie's not doing too hot right now. I don't know what happened. She just tried to grab my hat in front of four officers. Not smart. There she is. Getting cuffed. Have a nice night in the cell, Rosie. The left keeps ratcheting it up. They ratchet, they ratchet, they ratchet. And here is another example of them ratcheting it. But if liberals are serious about winning elections, they have to start recolonizing the parts of the country they've abandoned. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. Amazon could buy the whole state and rename it Amazippi. (laughs) If we keep leaving the red states behind, they're going to keep getting angrier and crazier. Because if you're not invited to the party, the next best thing is to throw a turd in the punch bowl. (laughs) Later on in Scrub from the Internet, he stated, We have Wolfgang Puck... They have Chef Boyardee, his statement. And recolonize? Are you fucking serious? Recolonize. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what they think. They think you're not part of America. And then we segue to immigration. So, so far, we need open borders. You're a racist if you think we should not allow everybody to come in. We need to abolish ICE. We need to abolish HHS. The wall is immoral. It's Nazi. It's the Berlin Wall. And we have two sound bites back to back. When you say things like this, that NBC calling a guy who patrols the border to help Border Patrol, a racist, an actual news segment, and we allow people who've been deported to keep coming back, 
you get what happened to this poor Napa sheriff who, if not for his reflexes, would be another statistic that nobody on the left or the media would talk about. But in the desert, some have decided to take the law into their own hands. Tim Foley calls himself a certified tracker. That's where they come through, right down here. He's the founder of the Arizona Border Recon, a group of volunteers who travel to this part of Arizona from all over the country. So once I find an area where I see him coming through, I put trail cameras out. See how this is all flattened down? Right there. This is the footprint? Yeah. There's so much coming through here. Drugs and the human smuggling. Are you saying that people coming through here are drug traffickers and not migrants? No, there are some regular illegals, but my cameras are showing that it's overwhelming majority of it is uh, drugs. A lot of people might say, you guys are a bunch of racists who just want to hunt down Mexican people or people trying to cross the border. What do you say to that? Well, that's because they have a preconceived notion of who we are. See, this is not about race. It's about sustainability. How many people can you let in and sustain them? Basically, by not enforcing anything, you're rewarding bad behavior. Can I look around to make sure? All right, wait right there, don't move, okay? Roll it down. Roll down the window. Roll down the window. Shots fired! Shots fired! This piece of shit, as ABC7 reports... Morales, a Mexican national, had a criminal history including weapons violations, a DUI, assault on a police officer. He was also wanted by ICE. ICE confirms deceased suspect is Napa shooting. Javier Hernandez Morales was a Mexican national. He had been previously removed three times prior to 2011 and had four detainers on him right now, but sanctuary. A cop almost died. But we don't have a problem. They're not criminals. You're the criminal. Because you just don't want everybody to come in the country. Border Patrol nabs previously deported sex offender and same city of group suing Trump. The El Salvadorian sex offender captured near former Arsarco plant site downtown El Paso. Then this in this article, Facebook has significantly reduced the distribution of DMFL, DML news posts and instead fills news feeds with news from the mainstream media. The way to fight back is by sharing our posts with your family. Because the fake hoax is still happening. Any anti-ICE is happening. And they're just not letting it feed. ICE. ICE is grateful the deputy involved in this shooting was not harmed during the attack. This incident may have been prevented if ICE had been notified about any of the multiple times Javier Hernandez Morales was released from local custody over the last few years. ICE told 
K-Picks 5 that Hernandez Morales had been deported three times prior to 2011. After 2011, he was arrested a number of times for crimes including driving under the influence, battery on a peace officer, and probation violations. Immigration officers said they issued detainers four separate times, but the local authorities ignored it. Right about the time I got this story, census, highest immigration population in 100 years, over half Latino. And then we have a representative. Once again, this guy just tried to kill a cop. You can't see the video, but I'm sure you've seen it. He was reaching for his gun when she shot. He wasn't a good guy. But Melendez, we shouldn't even consider him criminals for being here illegal. And we shouldn't consider him criminals for getting a DUI. No shit. The deputy director of ICE uh, says a cap on beds, in his words, would be, quote, extremely damaging to the public safety of this country. How do you respond? The reason that they are already 8,000 over their budgeted amount, so they're violating the budget, is because of the president's uh, zero tolerance policy that has turned everyone, regardless uh, of their uh, record, uh, into a criminal. For example, if you cross the border undocumented, he has now made you a criminal. Uh, He is creating that problem by turning people away who legitimately seek asylum. If a person has a driving while under the influence violation, he is now making that, saying that that's a criminal. Uh, What we... You an American? Yeah, yeah, you're a criminal. You get a DUI in a red state, your ass should be fucking hung. But an illegal? No, we don't, shouldn't count that. Which brings up our next extreme left. The ISIS bride. President Trump tweeted this afternoon that he'd instructed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo not to allow Hoda Muthana back into the country. The State Department said Muthana had no right to return because she, quote, is not a U.S. citizen. But Muthana's family say she is an American citizen. They've given us a copy of what they claim is her birth certificate, showing she was born in Hackensack, New Jersey in 1994. And they say she held a U.S. passport. Muthana even seems to have tweeted a photograph of it back in 2014, claiming she was going to burn it. Hassan Shibli is the family's lawyer. At the end of the day, she's a U.S. citizen, and whether Americans make crimes or not, uh, that doesn't deprive them of their citizenship. If she's been stripped of U.S. citizenship, it's apparently news to her family. She's literally trying to turn herself into the U.S. government, to be held accountable to our laws, to pay any debts she may have for society. Hoda Mathana was studying business at the University of Alabama in 2014 when she told her family she was going on a school trip, instead flying to the Middle East and crossing into ISIS territory in Syria. She's now in a refugee camp with many other ISIS wives and children and apparently remorseful. I know I ruined my future and my son's future and I'm deeply, deeply regretting. If the U.S. government won't recognize her as a citizen, she may be there for some time. The family lawyer told us today that they will challenge the U.S. government in court, asserting that Hoda Muthana is an American citizen and has the right to go home, where she would almost certainly face prosecution.
Do you think you'll be able to go back to the United States? Do you want to go to the United States? I prefer America other than anywhere else. Yeah. And what do you what do you want to do if you went back to the States? What do you think will happen to you if you were to um, allowed to go back? Of course I'll be given jail time. There are white domestic terrorists who get radicalized online all the time in America who are out shooting people, threatening to kill people in Silver Spring. And we're not deporting them. And and, and, and we're not deporting them. They're still allowed to be here. She's an American citizen. If she's willing to come back and face whatever consequences she faces for being a part of a terrorist organization that's declared war in the United States, that's perfectly fine. But this idea that this administration has been promoting, that we can pick and choose who citizens are and determine citizenship based on if we like somebody or their ideology, is anti-American. She is still an American citizen. She should be allowed to come back. And just being a part of ISIS, we need to determine exactly. Because we, we've had people flee and join ISIS before. You had somebody do that a couple years ago. We need to well, de- Let's it, not give ISIS excuses, okay? Well, I'm not giving ISIS excuses. What I'm saying is people have left and joined these kinds of terrorist organizations before. Yeah, that's CBS. And we'll see a shitload of people. Well, MSDNC was on that, too. That this person who left to be an ISIS bride and wants to come back, if you don't believe that, you're a racist fucking piece of shit. ISIS bride has to return to U.S., not an American, Secretary Pompeo said, because they pulled her citizenship. Stuart Garrett, for all you snowflakes out there who want to let that poor innocent girl who wants to come home after running off to ISIS, I will leave this here. This is her slicing a person's fucking throat or posing like she is undetermined if she did flashback comey's fbi embraced american isis terrorist help him get the doj job what may have been prompted but return from syria was october 2014th 60 minute minutes interview when then comey who said the Americans who had joined ISIS were welcome to come back home. He lamely warned we will track them very carefully. After being embraced by Comey, FBI, and cooperating with the Bureau of Investigators, Muhammad al-Alam Buhayi, yeah, I don't want to say his fucking name, eventually received complete exoneration that he sought in his email, namely supervised release with no jail time. He was facing 25 years. While Indiana native Samatha Elasa currently faces terrorist support charges for providing tactical gear, gear to ISIS terrorists and joining the group with her husband and family in Syria, the exoneration that America ISIS terrorist Buyaya received with the help of Comey-led FBI may be what Hoda Muthana and her attorneys were shooting for her. Former ISIS terrorist now works in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn thanks to Obama. So let me get this straight. You want all legal aliens in here, aliens in here, even if they fucking commit crimes. Because it doesn't fucking matter. They're more important than regular American citizens. And now you're all fighting for this. I can provide tweets. I didn't. There's political people saying this is wrong. She should be allowed to come in because she just made a mistake. She worked for the side that we feel really bad for. Terrorists. Because it's our fault they're terrorists. We make them do it. And just remember, Tlaib and Omar are still going to care, folks. Still. See, the left is unlike conservatives, independents. They will defend any of their own because that's what they do. They circle the wagons regardless And with all this anti-Semitism and ISIS brides and illegals trying to kill cops, here's now this news. 
Listen to this propaganda. It's no secret that we live in an era of rising anti-Semitism and white nationalism. But the real threat to us Jews doesn't come from progressive leaders like Ilhan Omar criticizing Israel's military occupation. It comes from Donald Trump and the increasingly white nationalist movement that put him in the White House. For centuries, corrupt and hateful rulers have used anti-Semitism to deflect the anger of the people away from the ruling class. When the status quo is failing and unpopular, and people are looking for someone to blame, Jews become a really useful scapegoat. Just as they scapegoat African-Americans, Muslims, Mexicans, people of color, and immigrants, Trump and his white nationalist allies use anti-Semitic dog whistles to distract from policies lining the pockets of the 1%. It was Trump whose last campaign ad in 2016 featured prominent Jewish leaders as the faces of the global elite that have allowed America to decline. It was Trump who said you had a group on one side that was bad and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. When Trump supporting white nationalists marched in Charlottesville and chanted Jews will not replace us. House Republicans Kevin McCarthy and Steve King have both repeated lies that George Soros was behind the caravan of migrants fleeing violence in Central America. These same conspiracy theories were echoed by the shooter in Pittsburgh who killed 11 Jews in their house of worship. And yet, it's the right wing that often uses accusations of anti-Semitism to shut down discussion about Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. More than 4 million Palestinians live under Israeli control, with few rights and no representation in the government that controls their lives. And the U.S. helps make it happen through giving political cover and billions of dollars of military aid to the Israeli government. For decades, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, known as APAC, has prided itself on bipartisan support for the Israeli government, including its military occupation. But that's shifting. The Democratic base is more critical of Israeli policies than ever, and Democratic politicians are growing more vocal with them. Sensing an opportunity, the right has started to use bad faith accusations of anti-Semitism to divide and weaken the left, targeting progressive black leaders speaking truth about the abuses of Benjamin Netanyahu's government. Ilhan Omar, Mark Lamont Hill, Michelle Alexander, Angela Davis, all were targeted for expressing concern about Israel's unjust treatment of the Palestinians. It's true. Anti-Semitism exists in the progressive movement just like it exists in the rest of America. We don't have to pretend people won't make mistakes. Jews have a right to have our concerns taken seriously. But instead of attacking leaders of color for making mistakes, we need to call them into understanding our community and our struggles. When leaders of color are targeted with weaponized anti-Semitism for speaking out on Israel, we need to have their backs. American Jews cannot allow ourselves to be used as a tool to divide, conquer, and destroy progressive movements. Because together, there is nothing that we cannot win. Because regular people are making their voices heard, the Democratic Party is transforming into a people's party that fights for visionary policies like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, free college and an end to mass incarceration and deportation. With leaders like Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, more and more Democrats will fight for freedom and dignity for all Israelis and Palestinians. We can transform America into the country we need it to be. But we can't do any of that if we let the right use anti-Semitism to divide us. So let's get to work.
much can surmise that with, I'd rather be with anti-Semites like Omar and Tlaib because they're better than Trump. But I'm a Jew. Oh, really? Isn't that whataboutism? Aren't we what? Is that their fucking answer for everything? Trump. It seems to work. Representative Solwell, who said he's going to nuke all fucking conservatives or some bullshit. It's snowing in New York. I need coffee. The closest cafe inside Trump Tower. This is me walking to an alternative in the snow. He tweeted that. He thought he was really brave. And he persisted. And this is why we have people getting crazy, grabbing hats. We we have our representatives. We have fucking media outlets. Just propaganda. Candizing. And I said, I said there'd be an article about the last thing we talked in the last podcast. The decriminalization of homosexuality. Out magazine. Gay magazine. Trump's plan to decriminalize homosexuality is an old racist tactic. Here's why we shouldn't be cheering the Trump administration. The Trump administration is set to launch a global campaign to decriminalize homosexuality in a dozen of nations where anti-gay laws are still on the books, NBC reported. While on its surface the move looks like an atypical benevolent decision by Trump administration, the details of the campaign belie a different story. Rather than actually being about helping queer people around the world, the campaign looks more like another instance of the right using queer people as a pawn to amass power. And that they're still not, they, they pulled out the old Reagan, uh, they don't care about AIDS victims all over the world. So they really cared, they'd be out there taking the AIDS victims. Really? That that's what we're supposed to do? Really? And then, a lefty, who then told the truth, Laura Logan, here's her being interviewed, now she's being attacked for telling the truth by the benevolent left. Absolute horse. All right, former 60 Minutes correspondent journalist Lara Logan bravely stating what so many people already know about the mob media's liberal bias. She didn't mince words. She told the truth, even risking political suicide, career suicide in the process. Lara, Lara joins us now. Uh, great to see you. Thank you for being with us. Um, Thank you, Sean. Just so you know, just so people know, how many years did you spend? out with our troops in Iraq and Afghanistan? How many tours of duty, years, months? Well, I lived in Iraq for five years. I lived in Afghanistan for a year, and I went to Afghanistan dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and I've been back to Iraq. Mm -hmm. Before I lived there, I was there under Saddam Hussein. So, I mean, I was pretty much on the battlefield most of the time from 9-11, and it's only been since I had um, my children that I've kind of, and of course and since I was almost killed in Egypt that I've sort of scaled back. people, you nearly died in Tahir Square in Egypt in the Arab Spring. Geraldo told me, I never knew this, that he shot, had a video of your vehicle getting hit with an IED. I never knew that story. Is that tr- that's true? Yes, that's true. It was, I think it was way back in like 2003 when we were blown up by a double anti-tank mine on the Afghan-Pakistani border at a place called Lozano Ridge. And Geraldo and his brother uh, were a few vehicles behind us in the convoy. And Sean, you know how incredible this is? In those days, the United States military did not even have armored Humvees on the battlefield. If you think about what that they context brings... Oh. They didn't that, even that have was a armor sin. on their vehicles. Up they didn't armored armor think they needed it. Wrong. So wrong. Um, and I, I bring this up because, wow, that, I mean, you were uh, you risked your life to report. 
and I watched you on 60 Minutes. I always thought you did a great job. And you say this, which is just a fact, and it's chronicled. And look at the media today. I say I'm a talk show host. I say I also do opinion and news and investigative mm -hmm. reporting. I do it all. And 85%, I think it's closer to 90, that are liberal. And you can see it. And you say you need two sources. That's so far gone. Why, if you tell the truth like that, do you believe you just pretty much committed career suicide? Well, it's obvious, right? Because you get targeted, and it's the same group of people. They're already starting to target me again now, and I expected it. And, you know, I was joking that I'm braced for fire and fury because I know they're going to come after me again, and I'm not the only one. I mean, the same people come after you, right? One of them, the Sparrow Project. I mean, this person was tweeting today, you know, Hannity, you know, watch out about Laura Logan stuff, right? And there's more coming. Michael Calderon, who was at the Huffington Post. I can literally give you the script now. I can tell you who the players are. Joe Hagan, Brian Stelter. I mean, it's the same people Humpty all Dumpty. the time, and they're all saying the same things. And they come after Cheryl Atkinson. They come after you. They come after me. I mean, if, you, if there are any independent voices out there, if there are any journalists who are not beating the same drum and giving the same talking points, then we pay the price. And if they can't, you know what's interesting, Sean? They can't take down the substance of what you're saying, right? They can't go after the things that matter. So they smear you personally. They go after your integrity. They go after your reputation as, an, as a person and as a professional. And they'll stop at nothing. So, you know, I'm not the only one. And, um, and I'm just, like, I'm done, right? I'm tired of it. And they don't get to write my story anymore. They don't get to speak for me. I want to say loudly and clearly to anybody who's listening, I am not owned. Nobody owns me, right? I'm not owned by the left. I don't I'm even know what your politics right. are. I really don't. I don't well, know. Because it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. I'm not going to lie to you and pretend I have no, like I have no biases. That's just not true, right? I mean, that's a part of who we are as human beings. We all have opinions on things. I don't pretend I don't have opinions. My point about the sources is that I've worked with so many great journalists. I can tell you many of their names. Sarah Carter is like one of them, right? I have so much respect for her work. And, uh, and there are so many people at 60 Minutes and in many other places who I have such great respect for and it's because I didn't invent this journalists have always needed two independent first-hand sources that's always been the standard that we work to it's not me I'm not alone I'm not the only one and you know I mean people know people know that we've slipped people know that when you're not um, when those are no longer your standards that you're you know that, well, <laughs> that raises questions if you're honest I would, I would love, I, I happen to, I've met your husband who, I don't, I don't know if he's going to like I'm saying this, who's really an American <laughs> hero, and I know you, you guys are raising Thank your you. kid. I, I mean this sincerely. I hope my bosses at Fox find a place for you. I know that you could, you want to still do great work and independent, and uh, I think it would be a service if you did. Uh, I hope that you telling truth doesn't end up in career suicide for you um, we need we need the fair honest investigative voices the people that well, do it's funny, look you know, for the I sources. heard 
I, I heard one of your paid people on Fox saying that it sounded like a job interview to me, and then going on to put a whole lot of words in my mouth that actually I never said. You know, let's just be honest. Like, like you know, look at the interview, hear what I said, and then listen to him, and you can see I didn't say that. I don't need to use. I don't need to fall well, back into dishonesty. And by the way, it's not a job interview, right? I don't know don't if Fox would want to hire me because be the, nobody's going to own work, me. But I got. I got to run. You keep up the good work. And I we have problems. And I still have two more, but I saved it for This Is America. The left is getting more and more extreme. It seems like their favorite saying is you're on the wrong side of history when it's you're not going with whatever bullshit they're pushing, like the Green New Deal. Right now, they're definitely looking like the people on the wrong side of history. They're just brainwashing the masses from children up to do violent things. So we're going to end this saying on a totally unrelated thing. And it's CNN crushing McCabe, an actual guy. He'll never be back on again. And we're going to go into our media section, which, by the way, I got a new bumper for it. Whenever we hear something from McCabe, we need to keep in mind he has a serious credibility problem. The Department of Justice Inspector General found that he lacked candor, which is the polite bureaucratic way of saying lied, three times in three separate interviews about whether he was a leak or, or authorized the leak on the Hillary Clinton case. And he made a, he's made a defense during this book tour, well, I was confused and I didn't understand the questions. I find that completely unconvincing. He lied, not just, he didn't just have one bad day. Three separate times lied to the FBI. He also said he was authorized by the FBI to be the person who was the liaison with the press. You don't buy that? Uh, the DOJ, the OIG certainly did not buy it. And look, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, Michael Cohen, George Papadopoulos were all prosecuted for making false statements to federal investigators. I don't see why McCabe's case is really any different than those. This is CNN Breaking News. It's time to talk about our brave firefighters, our media, operatives for the DNC. Former DOJ spokeswoman Sarah Isger Flores was just hired by CNN as deputy political editor. According to that creepy kid who covers media for CNN, the staff over there were furious. One unnamed reporter called it a, quote, disaster and said there were ethical implications to working for someone who publicly supported Trump. Of course, there are quite a few former Obama staffers on the CNN payroll. No problem. I know they're going to come after me again, and I'm not the only one. I mean, the same people come after you, right? One of them, the Sparrow Project. I mean, this person was tweeting today, you know, Hannity, you know, watch out about Laura Logan stuff, right? And there's more coming. Michael Calderon, who was at the Huffington Post. I can literally give you the script now. I can tell you who the players are. Joe Hagan, Brian Stelter. I mean, it's the same people Humpty all Dumpty. the time, and they're all saying the same things. Now, it seems to me a blatant contradiction that you have some of your colleagues in Congress that want to see voter ID, government photos, to vote, but don't want background checks to buy guns. I mean, if we are that sh wanting to see that kind of strict ID to exercise the right to vote, 
We're going to put weapons in people's hands that don't even want to have strict background checks. That seems uh, like a, 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 a blatant contradiction to me. Absolutely. They're diametrically opposed in every sense of the word. If you have to have an ID to exercise your right to vote at the ballot box, then why would you not have to have, you know, a legal ID to own uh, a gun? Why would you not need a permit to carry a gun? Why would you not need a background check to make sure that you uh, can lawfully carry a gun? So there again, we need to continue to make sure that our laws are uh, not controlling people's ability to own guns other than people who should not have guns. For people that are law-abiding gun owners, as I've said over and over again, you have no need to worry, but we have to make sure that we are keeping out of the hands uh, of those people that should not have guns. Uh, we need to make sure that we're exercising every ability that we have to keep people safe. In the Beat with Ari Melber starts right now. Hi, Ari. Hi, Katie. I wanted to wish you a uh, happy President's Day. You know, it is George Washington's Day here, Washington Day here in New York, unlike the rest of the country, because George Washington, native son of New York. Big up. Big New Yorker. That's right. East Coast. He was known as an East Coast one. He was, a, he was New York's big papa. So that was... <laughs> Doggone Tucker and Hannity with new nicknames for fucking Steltzer, which I thought was funny. And then my favorite sound by forever, um, Katie Turr. It's President Washington Day, a native son of New York. And that shows that maybe she needs to find a fucking history book and read it because he was born in Virginia, you fucking dolt. And Sharpton lying about background checks. We have background checks, so... Anyway, we scrubbed the old hypocrisy section. I hated that soundbite, so I made a new one, just a simple one, and, and got a new voice effect person, which is me using a new app because the wife has quit on me. So anybody want to volunteer to do voice voiceovers, give me an email. I'll hook you up. So Babylon B, Jesse Smollett offered job at CNN after fabricating news story out of thin air. Remember, it's a joke. Snopes. Remember, Snopes is this great site. It's very important for America. It's so important. So important that we have real fact checkers to back up the brave firefighters so that America won't have fake news. They fact check the joke. But it might as well be true. Because we'll see on CNN... Is we have two big stories that came out of this this, this last four-day period. CNN's a bunch of fucking prog freaks. I mean, they're just prog freaks. Brian Seltzer reports CNN staff up in arms over hiring an ex-Trump official as editor. Sarah Isner Flores. We hired a former Trump administration official to help guide our coverage this re-election. A baffled editor said, reporters are up in arms over this. This just feels like a disaster, one of those reporters said. I'm really, really worried about this and concerned about the ethical implications of taking directions on stories for someone I covered when she was an operative in 2016 for Carly Fiorina, my added, because they didn't, and who pledged loyalty to one of the candidates in 2020 race. This seems different and much more problematic to me more than your atypical political media revolving door hire. 
added to the concern employees don't know exactly what her job will entail. I'm sure she's a wonderful person, but no one knows what she'll be doing, a staffer in Washington said. Oh, then there was a blue check outrage over CNN hire. Just He used to work for Sessions. Oh, my God. Ryan Grimm is also didn't include her work for Sessions. Saman Malloy, CNN's new political editor, editor, has worked for every Republican but hasn't done any journalism. And they're all, like, tweeting her bio. And, oh, my God. Carola Berdella. What the literal fuck, CNN? How will reporters feel about being given editorial direction for someone who worked within the Trump administration? Oliver Willis, the freaking dude that always ends up on our show. Are you kidding me, CNN? Are you effing kidding me? This isn't fair. They show her tweeting stuff. The Clinton News Network is back. She worked for Fiorina. Nobody unearthed the billions of things that Snuffleberger fucking said during the Clinton campaign. He was just a journalist. Jesse Lara, does Sarah still think Chris Cuomo's Planned Parenthood propagandist? Media Matters Parker Malloy is worried CNN will now end up giving way to free Trump ads. But back to Sarah Sigur Flores and CNN for a second. Remember that she pledged loyalty to Trump in order to get her last job. But hey, sure, have her coordinate your 2020 coverage, CNN. Sure, that'll be fair and not full of empty podiums, free Trump ads, and media matters. Simone Malloy doesn't look like she doesn't have a background in journalism. She doesn't have a background. Ooga, ooga, ooga. Oh, my God. Other articles. CNN staffers demoralize as network hires conservative. CNN confirmed to Daily Beast Tuesday evening they have hired her. Another article from the left. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? But then somebody breaks out what I've done on this show multiple times and still could do to this day. George Snuffleupagus. David Rhodes. Jay Carney, Jim Scudo, Chris Cuomo, Gail King, all linked. You can include Tim Russert, Chuck Todd. Well, New York Times, Brett Stevens, Nate Silver, Barry Weiss. If you want to stack up who's partisan and who's not in the media, you're going to lose libs. For fuck's sake, every major network had somebody in, was related to somebody in the Obama administration. Seriously. And she's a Latina. That never came up in any of these conversations. You know, if it was a conservative... You know, attacking that they hired another goddamn, like, Anna Navarro. Oh, you're a sexist racist because she's Latina and she's a woman. Oh, well, fuck, we dropped that shit off. Mm-hmm. And here's a new take on McCabe. The IG railroad him, and this is from Joe Scarborough, followed by, followed by Brian Krasestein. And listen, listen to both of these. Well, three questions all um, related to the same thing. Um, what mistakes do you think you made in uh, your role in investigating Trump? What mistakes do you think Jim Comey made? And what about the FBI overall? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Let's start with you. Yeah, sure. And, and not just the investigation of Donald Trump. What mistakes did you make over the past two years? What do you look back and say, man, 
like to get a chance to you know, get a do-over Rewind. on that one. Yeah. You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the decisions that Jim and I and the team went through, going back all the way to the Clinton email case mm -hmm. into our investigation of Russia. Um, and there were some momentous decisions that we made, some that may have had an impact on electoral politics far beyond anything that we ever intended. Um, I'm pretty candid in the book about rethinking our decision even to announce our investigative results uh, in the beginning of July. I was going to ask about that. That was such a departure from precedent. Did, did Jim Comey make a mistake uh, while not indicting, saying that we're not going to indict <clears throat> Hillary Clinton, but basically then holding a, a press conference and indicting her politically? You know, Joe, I think in retrospect, now I supported Jim's decision to make that announcement at the time. Was there anybody telling him not to do that? No, there wasn't. It, is, it was such a departure. It though. was. Is it, is, was. It, is it not strange that there was nobody around Jim Comey saying, Mr. Director, we just don't do this. You either indict or you don't indict and we, then go away. I mean, Joe, we had those conversations. We were aware of the departure of precedent, um, but we banked very heavily um, and we were incredibly confident in Jim's ability as a communicator. I think we were overconfident. I think we put too much stock in our hope and our belief that Jim could communicate to people not just the extensive investigation that we had done. Wasn't he grandstanding? Was correct I, mean, I mean, Democrats, uh, I think, fairly say that he was grandstanding. I, you day. know, I wouldn't call it that. I wouldn't call it that. We were in a position where we felt it was essential to explain to people what we had done, what we had concluded. Uh, and what we thought about was it done case. in part because you are, and Jim Comey and the FBI, like everybody else in the media, except for two or three people, thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, and everybody wanted their hands clean when she did. So Absolutely, you wouldn't be having hearings nine months into the Clinton administration on why you all weren't more aggressive with Hillary Clinton. Absolutely not. No, it was done because we had received this investigation in an incredibly public way. Um, okay, so let me ask you this question. <clears throat> if you mm -hmm. could give advice to future FBI directors, yeah. would you tell them, when you're thinking about holding a press conference after you decide not to indict a public official, don't do it? I think I would tell that future FBI director that precedent is important for good reason. Uh, and even in those moments when you are so confident and you have the you're trying to do the right thing. You feel like that departure from precedent, um, you have the ability and the confidence in your communicator, in the righteousness of your cause, in the work that you've done. And that's all great. That idea of precedent should weigh very heavily. Keep your head down. Mind. Keep your head down to your job. Okay, let me ask you about the letter 10 days before the election. Mm -hmm. Which again, this is, this is one of the most bizarre things. When I hear about these deep state conspiracies against Donald Trump, right. the quote, deep state elected Donald Trump. And if you talk to Donald Trump during that time, he would tell you that that letter actually gave him a chance to win the presidency. What regrets do you or Jim Comey have about that letter that you can speak to uh, sure. on Jim Comey? Sure, and I, I can't speak for Jim. Okay, so and for I think you, Jim has been pretty do, clear do, about do you, how he do you, feels do you about regret? that letter was sent 10 days before the election? I didn't agree with the decision to send that letter at the time. Unfortunately, it wasn't a decision I had the opportunity to participate in because right. of all the issues that were swirling around me as a result of the uh, Wall Street Journal reporting and, the, and this idea that I, I, would, I would recuse from the case. Right. So Jim, um, Jim told me he didn't want me to participate in that, uh, in that discussion and in that decision. Why is that? 
I'm sorry? Why? Why did he not want you to participate? Because I, I you know, again, I can't speak for Jim. I don't want to say what is his mind and, and what was, what may or may not have been circulating through his mind. But Can you um, tell us who he, he consulted with? We always criticize Donald Trump for not consulting with more people before he makes momentous decisions. Can you yeah. tell me, who did Jim Comey, based on your best knowledge, who was he consulting with before he sent out that letter that swung the election to Donald Trump? Well, Joe, I don't know because I wasn't there. But my yeah. understanding is it was the same members of the team that had been working the issue right through the fall. So now on a personal level, yes. uh, you, you talked about the Wall Street Journal reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about uh, the decision to leak the information on the Clinton Foundation. Again, deep state actor Andrew McCabe mm -hmm. leaked something that I remember on this show, we said, okay, this really matters. This is really going to be damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Again, the deep state working for Donald Trump, which is what's so bizarre about what infects the minds of people like yeah. Devin Nunes. Talk about the leak. It happens. Yeah. Uh, public figures do it all the time. The FBI does it all the time. The CIA does it all the time. Take us into your thought process. Why did you leak that information, and why do you not tell the truth about it to investigators later? Yeah, so Joe, I'm going to correct you on a couple things here. First is, um, well, just to, just to uh, start out, I am limited in, to, in what I can discuss with you about the Wall Street Journal articles and everything that came from them, and, because and, I am and, still, yeah. to this day, still caught up in, in uh, legal issues uh, from from. Uh, from those events and, and everything. That's All right, going. so what can you tell us about that? But I will tell you this, Joe. At, when I served as deputy director, I was one of two people in the FBI who had the authority by FBI policy to interact with the media and to decide what information, as an organization, we shared with the media. So my activities, my involvement, transacting day-to-day -day on numerous media requests right. all across the spectrum, right? That is not activity that any right-thinking, well-informed person would characterize as who, leaking. Who is the other person? Coming? The director. Uh, the, you, Jim you and Cummy. So you don't consider your conversations with the Wall Street Journal to be leaking? I don't consider any of the authorized disseminations of information uh, that I was involved in over the course of my term as deputy to be leaks. They are not leaks. So when we, read the, when, when we read the book, we'll hear, uh, we, we'll, we'll read about uh, the decisions leading up to that. And uh, did Director Comey know that you were talking uh, to the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, you know, I cannot go into, I would love Joe to sit here right. with, with, take out that report, lay it open on the table and go through point by point how I disagree with all of the conclusions in that IG report. And I will tell you this, I at no time ever intentionally misled Director Comey, the Inspector General, or the FBI inspectors investigating another uh, media issue. Um, the fact is that report, and I have been reading investigative reports for 21 years, is not like is not the product of any investigation that I'm. Familiar you think you're with. railroaded? I think that it is abundantly. Were people trying to uh, please the president and the? Talk about the leak. It happens. Yeah. Uh, public figures do it all the time. The FBI does it all the time. The CIA does it all the time. Take us into your thought process. Why did you leak that information, and why do you not tell the truth about it to investigators later? I at no time ever intentionally misled Director Comey, the Inspector General, or the FBI inspectors investigating another uh, media issue. Um, the fact is that report, and I have been reading investigative reports for 21 years, is not like is not the product of any investigation that I'm familiar with. Do you think with. you're railroaded? I think that it is abundantly... Were people trying to uh, please the president and the conclusions they reached? There's no question what conclusion the president desired from that investigation. He made it clear in his own Twitter account, and the IG delivered the result that he was demanding. 
Do I know that there was a direction? I can't say that today, but I hope uh, that we get to that point with the civil lawsuit I'll be filed. Do, uh, do you think when history is written, when <clears throat> report is laid bare, that you will be vindicated and the IG uh, questions will then turn to the IG's decision? I do. Okay. Should they be investigated? Should the IG be investigated? You know, that's a really good question. Um, they are the overseers, right? That's where oversight of the FBI and the department comes from. It's less clear who oversees, who oversees the overseers. The overseers sorry. Uh, you know, that's probably a responsibility that falls back to Congress. I don't think Congress has distinguished itself in terms of oversight in the last two years. We'll see what happens going forward. Is that, or is that your job? Yeah. Uh, I have several businesses, but you know, the resistance is a really good group of people. It's spread throughout the country, probably throughout the world. I mean, it's, it's just kind of, it's just what I enjoy spending my time doing. And, and of course, we get paid, you know? Of course, those uh, higher-ups pay us. So, so you're, you're paid for this? It's not just, like, something you do because of your love of country? Yeah, I, I mean, they, uh, people pay us. Uh, they, they want us to help sow the division and to, to take over Trump's Twitter feed. When he makes a post, they want... Arab tweets to be up there. They don't want they don't want other people to like Trump supporters to be seen in that case. So basically, that's like version nine hundred for McCabe of Morning Joe defending them. And do, are you surprised Krasenstein's paid? I mean, CNN pays both of them to go fucking dox people. Of course, the resistance is sham. They're a bunch of fucking trolls. We talked about it during the election. They actually aired it on the news, and I was surprised that you know nobody said, "Hey, is this?" ethical 20 people in a room on com- on computers for hillary that would just go out and attack people so talking points chat rooms twitter that's their, that was their job they were paid to do that so of course he's paid just to make fucking shit up he also said i love how those on the right are attacking democrats are speaking out are he said our, but I think he meant out against what appeared to be a brutal hate crime against Je- actor Jesse Smollett. No one can predict that someone would have made all this up. It just shows that Democ- Democrats care, not vice versa. You know, we care. We really care about people. I was paid to say that. Then you got Sarah Jong. She hasn't been in there for a while. Because remember, she got a gang role because she's a racist fucking piece of shit that the New York Times hired. Because it's okay to be a racist piece of shit if you're a minority. New York Times want those people. Why do you think Charles Blow's got a job? Good morning. Just sitting here drinking coffee and thinking about how the state of Wyoming has two senators in total population smaller than Portland, Oregon. SMH. You know, I don't have a problem with liberals saying that. I do have a problem, literally have a problem with journalists saying that. As a journalist, if you're pushing the talking points once again of the extreme left that we need to redo the Constitution so Democrats never lose, you're probably not a journalist. But none of them are, so I guess that kind of makes sense. So we're going we're gonna to slide right into Tucker. This was a huge thing, and it goes a little something like this. We want to respond to something that happened recently. Last month, a Dutch academic called Rutger Bregman showed up at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and gave a lecture to the attendees. How is it, he wondered, that global elites can say they care so deeply about climate change, yet show up at Davos in private jets? And by the way, how come nobody at Davos ever mentions the epidemic of tax evasion by the world's supposedly progressive billionaire class? 
Those are both good questions, and they're not asked enough. So last week, we invited Bregman on our show to congratulate him for what he said at Davos. He was in Europe at the time, so we taped the segment in case we needed to fix the delay in the edit booth. We do that a lot. Things went fine for the first few minutes, and then Bregman launched into an attack on Fox News. It's not clear that Bregman has ever seen Fox, but he wanted to make his point. Fine. But then he claimed that my corporate masters tell me what to say on this show, and that was too much. Whatever my faults or those of this channel, nobody in management has ever told us what positions to take on the air. Never. Not one time. We have total freedom here, and we're grateful for that. I've hosted shows on both the other cable channels, so I know firsthand how rare that freedom is. On this show, thanks to Fox, we get to say exactly what we think is true, for better or worse. But there was no convincing Rutger Bregman of that. He knew what he knew. So I did what I try hard never to do on this show, and I was rude. I called him a moron, and then I modified that word with a vulgar, vulgar Anglo-Saxon term that is also intelligible in Dutch. In my defense, I would say that that was entirely accurate, but you're not allowed to use that word on television. So once I'd said it out loud, there was no airing the segment. As it turns out, Bregman taped our exchange. He released the audio today, and if you like, you can listen to it. There is some profanity, and I apologize for that. On the other hand, it was genuinely heartfelt. I meant it with total sincerity. So I did what I try hard never to do on this show, and I was rude. I called him a moron, and then I modified that word with a vulgar, vulgar Anglo-Saxon term that is also intelligible in Dutch. In my defense, I would say that that was entirely accurate, but you're not allowed to use that word on television. So once I'd said it out loud, there was no airing the segment. Why don't you go f yourself, you tiny brain, and I hope this gets picked up. Because you're a moron, I tried to give you a hearing, but you were too you can't handle the criticism, can you? I hear people talk in the language of participation and justice and equality and transparency. But then, I mean, almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters fighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. I mean, you are a millionaire funded by billionaires. That's what you are. And I'm glad you now finally jumped the bandwagon, you know, of people like Bernie Sanders and AOC. But you're not, you're not part of the solution, uh, Mr. Mr. Carlson. You're part of the problem, actually. Now, I know the mix is a little loud because I had to bump it up to get the little audio he did. And I put him up front out of respect. I like the guy. I watched him on MSDNC, and, and I don't remember him on CNN. But, you know, I, I believe him when he says, hey, this is what we have to do. Um but this was huge. This was all over the place. The Hill, uh, Fox News, Tucker Carlson told a historian to go fuck himself. CNN ran articles. Everybody ran articles. WAPO, New York Times, Now News. It was just so huge that he used fuck. And they trolled out the old fucking O'Reilly. We're going to fucking do it live that they play a million times. You know, I bet if um, liberals weren't so lack of integrity that they don't ever break ranks, we could find all sorts of shit on Cuomo. I guarantee Chuck, uh, I guarantee Scarborough has lost it back in the day when it was Scarborough country. In fact, I think there was sound bites when he was a conservative and bad. But big fucking deal. He is a fucking moron. That that's the old 
it is the old lame media matters started by Clinton. Fox wasn't started by a politician. Media matters is. MRC wasn't started by a politician. But their trope forever has been we must get rid of Fox. We must dismantle Fox. It is imperative that we get rid of Fox because we don't want any other ideas out. Those are the same people that say CNN and MSDNC are biased. And WAPO and New York Times are conservative rags. I mean, these people are so extreme. They want DPRK TV. They, They want nothing but North Korea TV. While this was going on, nobody was talking about this. NBC's Stephanie Rule hawked Under Armour shoes on air without disclosing a relationship with CEO. It's problematic. Just in this article, because I'm not going to break it down, because that's pretty much the story. 15 tweets. Just in the last couple of years, if we're talking about curry talking about sunglasses talking about shoes literally tweaking it tweeting it out and on air talking about it now here's the problem as a personal person i don't give a fuck i don't think that should be something they shouldn't be able to do hey you know there's certain brands you like as a person i would be hawking the fuck out of packer gear i'd be hawking the fuck out of all sorts of shit on my twitter feed not on air without disclosing uh, for, you know, to be honest, I, I am dating a person that works for Under Armour. That's what you're supposed to do. And and you can't say, hey, you're an idiot. You've never been. I was in the army. There was all sorts of shit. We couldn't wear certain things with brands on it. I had to black out brands when we went to Afghanistan. Because branding was saying the U.S. Army actually was issuing it, was uh, certifying this product was fantastic. We had a blackout gloves. We had a blackout, like I had a, a turtleneck that I had to take the Nike off it, or it was Under Armour. I had to take the Under Armour symbol off. We had to do that shit. Hats. You wore a stocking cap that was different. I did. I had a North, uh, uh, what was it, a fucking North Face Black Beanie. They were the first ones to come out with the really good ones. And then I had a shitload of Under Armour ones at the end. And I had a fucking, even in the field, I had to take it off. Because if a picture was taken, as a soldier, it was saying that the U.S. the U.S. verified this product and other people could sue. So I've already lived that life. That's part of being a fucking professional. You can't sponsor products. But nobody talked about that. That's just a conservative only. Nobody spoke about that. We spoke all week about Tucker said fuck. Tucker said fuck. So let us segue into 2020. Woohoo! In 2014, the Anti Defamation League did a survey in more than 100 countries of attitudes towards Jews and found that anti Semitism was twice as common among Muslims than Christians though it's far more prevalent in the Middle East than the Americas. It has sometimes tragically gone beyond words, morphing into terror attacks against Jews, even children in countries like France. It might surprise people to know that it wasn't always this way. In fact, through much of history, the Muslim Middle East was hospitable to Jews when Christian Europe 
was killing or expelling them. The great historian Bernard Lewis once said to me, people often note that in the late 1940s and 50s, hundreds of thousands of Jews fled Arab countries. They rarely ask why so many Jews were living in those lands in the first place. One shouldn't exaggerate the status of Jews under Islamic rule. They were second-class citizens, but they were tolerated and encouraged to a far greater degree in Muslim societies than in Christian ones. Things changed in the late 19th century when, according to Lewis's seminal book, The Jews of Islam, as a direct result of European influence, movements appear among Muslims, of which for the first time one can legitimately use the term anti-Semitic. Muslims started to worry that the British, who came to rule much of the Middle East, were favoring the small, non-Muslim communities, especially Jews. In expressing their hostility to Jews, Muslims began importing European anti-Semitic tropes, like the notion of blood libel. Noxious anti-Semitic works started to be translated into Arabic. What supercharged all these attitudes was the founding of Israel in 1948 and the determination of Arab leaders to defeat it. In their zeal to delegitimize the Jewish state, Arab states became vast propaganda machines for anti-Semitism, brainwashing generations of their people with the most hateful ideas about Jews. Anti-Semitism is now routine discourse in Muslim populations in the Middle East and, alas, far beyond. While some Arab governments have stepped back from the active promotion of hate, the damage has been done. It should be possible to criticize Israel. As Peter Beinhardt has written, establishing two legal systems in the same territory, one for Jews and one for Palestinians, as Israel does in the West Bank, is bigotry. And it has lasted for more than a half century. It should be possible to talk about the vast influence of the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, or AIPAC. I recall senators privately worrying that if they supported the Iran nuclear deal, AIPAC would target them. Of course, this is true of other lobbies, and it's not the only reason senators voted against the deal. These are all legitimate issues to vigorously debate and discuss in America, just as they are in Israel. Unfortunately, by phrasing the issue as the two new representatives sometimes have, they squandered an opportunity to further that important debate. When I hear the name Tulsi Gabbard, I think of a Assad apologist. I think of someone who comes back to the United States and is spouting propaganda from Syria. You have said that the Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States, yet he's used chemical weapons against his own people 300 times. That was a red line with President Obama. That's our, that is not our enemy. 13 million Syrians have been displaced. So when you say regime change is hurtful for the country, but gassing children isn't more hurtful, it's hard for me to understand where you come from a humanitarian standpoint if you were to become president. Uh, well, you're putting words in my mouth that I've never said. You did not say that Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States. Say it now. Clarify. <laughs> the, the issue here is how can we help alleviate the suffering of people. Just really one moment. Is he an enemy of the United States? An enemy of the United States is someone who threatens our safety and our security. There is no disputing the fact that Bashar al-Assad in Syria is a brutal dictator. There is no disputing the fact that he has used chemical weapons and other weapons against his people. There are other terrorist groups in Syria who have used similar chemical weapons and other weapons of terror against the people of Syria. 
This is, this is an unfortunate thing that wrenches at every one of our hearts. This is not something I'm disputing, nor am I apologizing or defending these actions. My point is that the reality we are facing here is that since the United States started waging a covert regime change war in Syria starting in 2011, the lives of the Syrian people have not been improved. Their well-being has not gotten to a better place. Their suffering has not decreased. It has increased in addition to the fact that Al-Qaeda is stronger in Syria today than ever before. So not only are we dealing with the fact that this regime change war we've been waging in Syria has not helped the Syrian people, it has made their lives worse off. It has also, his people it has also undermined our national security, leaving us in a place where Al-Qaeda is a stronger threat there than they ever have now, been before. Tulsi, and Iran has greater influence in Syria than ever before. Tulsi, you and I know each other, and uh, you and I have have had these uh, discussions and arguments over text and over phone. I've told you over how, how much, yes, mm -hmm. how we uh, disagree. <laughs> People text, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, how we disagree on, on, on you know, this issue. We've had it on the phone as well. I'm also, I'm, I'm very troubled by, by the tweet about Venezuela mm. that you've put out, you know, that, you know, we've, we've talked about that. What Maduro is doing to the people of Venezuela, there's over three million that have been displaced. People are starving. He's not allowing humanitarian aid in. He is a thug. He is a dictator. He is corrupt. And I, I am very supportive of what the United States is doing right now, leading the solidarity and support of freedom-loving Venezuelans and putting sanctions, economic and, pol and uh, sanctions. Why are you so against uh, intervention in Venezuela? Not military intervention, but what we are doing. Because every time the United States, and particularly in Latin America, has gotten involved in regime change, using different tools to enact that regime change, there have been both short and long-term devastating impacts. If there are ways that we can work with surrounding countries to try to get humanitarian aid into people there, then we should be doing that. But for the United States to go in and choose who should be the leader of Venezuela, that is not something that serves the interests of the Venezuelan people. That's something that they need to determine themselves. But the U.S. is themselves. not choosing who's going to be the leader of Venezuela. It's, you know, it's millions of Venezuelans marching on the streets. Just, and so, just but do by, you put military intervention in the same level that you put economic and uh, diplomatic efforts? The United States has used both military, CIA, sanctions, and other tools to intervene and enact regime change in countries around the world. Uh, Iran is a great example. Uh, the CIA led a covert operation to overthrow uh, the government in Iran decades ago in Mossadegh. This led to decades upon decades of hardship and suffering in authoritarian governments and has led us to the place where we're dealing with many challenges we'll come today. To from Iran. Yeah, we're going to come back with more from you. Because so we're going to have a united party. We're going to have a great nominee, but I think it's much too early to say who that will be. So let's talk about those views, right, and, and how you solve the problem here. Um, because your fellow congressman, Maryland Representative John Delaney, said this week, quote, the primary is going to be a choice between socialism and a more just form of capitalism. You know Bernie Sanders, where he stands on that and his, his, his views on, on socialism, et cetera, especially when it comes to paying for health care for all Americans, et cetera. There's a new Gallup poll a few months ago. It shows that more Democrats have a positive view of socialism Congressman, than capitalism. 57% view socialism positively, 47% view capitalism positively. 
Do you believe that the Democratic Party is moving more toward socialism? And are you supportive of that? No, I don't think the Democratic Party is at all. Look, I think all of the announced Democratic uh, candidates for president are capitalists, and uh, we don't have any socialist candidates running for president in the Democratic Party. Uh, I think, you know, those polling questions are always very curious because if you look at Medicare and Social Security, some people mm -hmm. describe those as socialist programs. Uh, they're deeply embedded in the American identity. People support them overwhelmingly, Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So I think, look, we are, Democrats are committed to focusing on the issues that matter to working people in this country that will make uh, health care available to all Americans, that will drive down the costs of prescription drugs, that will deal with this very pernicious income inequality that will get the government working for the people of this country again. Those are core democratic but values. I don't I, see any movement in the Democratic Party towards socialism at all. I know the president is making that argument. I think it's a silly one. Well, uh, I think he thinks it's politically it's, advantageous. It's not but there's just, just no evidence to support it. It's just not, the, well, okay, it's not, it's not just the president. I mean, let me read you from Howard Schultz, who may run as a centrist independent. His, his spokeswoman just yesterday welcomed Bernie Sanders to the race, saying he's already had a profound impact on the Democratic Party, that many presidential candidates hold up his self-described socialist views as their standard. Are you at all concerned? Do yeah, you look, believe that the, no, that the look, party is, is leaning too far left? No, I, I, I'm not at all concerned. I think Bernie Sanders has contributed significantly to the debate on the important issues of our day. I think the Democratic nominee will be a Democrat who supports capitalism, who supports progressive policies that will drive down health care costs, that will raise family incomes. So I think he's added to the debate. He's not a member of the Democratic Party, so I wouldn't attribute too much significance to how he self-identifies. I look at the Democratic candidates. I think our nominee will be someone who takes on the issues that are important to working people in this country. And I think we're going to have a healthy debate about what's the best way to drive down health care costs. What's the best way to raise family incomes? What's the best way to take on the corruption and self-dealing in Washington and get the government working for the people of this country? Again, those are good debates to have. Uh, but I think it is uh, a big mistake to allow the president or anyone else to say, like, this is about socialism. It's just not. All right. Again, it's not just the president. One of the great things about the campaign so far is the historically diverse uh, Democratic field. That's not taking sides for the Democrats. It's just nice to see the diversity out there running, including a handful of women who did a photo spread and an interview spread with Marie Claire magazine. And they were asked, the candidates were asked, what questions do you get asked as a woman candidate for president that the men don't get asked? The question I get asked that I've never heard a man ask, can a woman win? But I never heard anybody ask a guy can a man win? Are you tough enough? Can you handle the heat? Speak to us about women's issues. And my response is usually, I am so glad you'd like to talk about women's issues. So let's talk about the economy. How do you balance your family life and your work life? It, it is interesting to watch after, you know, there was a lot of criticism of the media, a lot of questions last time when you had Hillary Clinton running, that one candidate one woman candidate against Donald Trump. In this field, this is going to be fascinating to watch it play out. Yeah, and I think it's different for that exact reason. Last time around, it was Hillary Clinton. And she became 
the repository for all of these various concerns about female candidates, some of which are actually very real, that if you talk to pollsters, there is there's something out there about uh, why some voters don't want to vote for women candidates. But this time around, there are so many of them. And so they can all talk about these issues, and it doesn't get focused on any one of them. Uh, and in some ways, it actually diminishes, it can diminish their importance, which I think many of them would actually appreciate that uh, what you're hearing from these candidates is uh, let's not talk about necessarily the fact that I'm a woman. Let's talk about what I'm running on, which is the economy or healthcare or whatever. Um, and some of those issues like paid family leave for Kirsten Gillibrand and uh, uh, sexual assault in the military are issues that they've championed themselves. Uh, but it, it, that's not the entirety of their candidacy. And I think in some ways, Hillary Clinton may have helped them with that by being that person who took all the, you know, the arrows the last time around, and now they can kind of share it, uh, and they don't all get to be weighed down by it. You're also seeing a lot, because partly there are so many women, and as Abby said, it isn't the first time around, you're seeing women make some different choices about how they run, which I think is really interesting. Both, I mean, there's a range of issues, obviously, that they're talking about, but even just some of the tactics. We had one of our reporters went to dinner at Kristen Gillibrand's house, uh, and she talked and she talked about her sort of family-friendly agenda and paid leave. And that's something you might not have seen in the past from a, a male candidate running. So I think they are also trying to experiment and sort of try different tactics, which I think is really interesting. And I think we'll see more of that as this race goes on. Another I mean, this question. This is just very good for the country, right? Objectively, right. to have this many women running, because what you're showing the country is that women can run in all different ways. And as you point out, we just haven't seen that before. For a very long time, Hillary Clinton was the one and only woman that made it to the level of really a presidential, a serious presidential candidate. And she had one way of doing things. So this is by showing that diversity of uh, styles and of campaigning, you are sort of, uh, uh, you know, getting the country, getting voters more and more accustomed to this idea that women can break this, uh, the highest, hardest class. Yeah, another, yes, perhaps sorry. also another it means that this discussion to... of, oh, sorry, I should say, like, I feel like there's, a, there's sort of set pieces about, like, candidates' hobbies or interests right. or these stories yeah. that come up every time, and maybe Kids. we will, and so maybe we will right. see some different things this time. I think Hillary Clinton struggled with people being like, oh, your hobbies are yoga, you talk about your grandkids, and like, right. maybe we're moving past some of that being yeah. unusual. And another, another question women have to deal with all the time that men don't is the likability one. Men never get asked this question. Women do. It's often sexist. It has to do with the fact that ambitious women make a lot of men uncomfortable, and if you're talking presidential candidates, you're probably very ambitious. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. And there's too. a lot of academic uh, research backing right. that idea up too. Right. That's yeah. a, that definitely is a real thing. And so, you know, to have unlikable women, maybe that's a good thing, right? <laughs> it would be nice to put that one away. And I think what we have to do on our side is first we call it out, but then we really do turn to the substance. We stop giving it so much airtime. We just turn to the substance. We call out racism. We call out hatred wherever it exists. We say we're not going to be part of it. Why, are, Why, for example, on immigration, we're not going to build a wall that is a monument to hate and division. That's, that's what that's really about. It's not about border security. The, the security issue that he's raising, this emergency at the border, is fake. The whole point of that wall is to get his folks stirred up around the notion of hate. We call it out, we say no, we fight it. Okay, I had a mic mess up, so I apologize on the last ones. I don't know what happened. Audacity was lowering the mic, which is, it's never done it. So that last record I just did, it you could barely hear me, and I apologize. I don't know what 
what happened, but it's now going back to normal where I have it set. So hopefully we can recover from that. So let's go over that soundbite. My favorite ones, of course, was Zakaria. I mean, listen to that shit. I just fucking hate the goddamn media. And then Warren. What are we on? Like eight different versions of what the wall is. And it's always evil. And it just... I. My God, you people are... You should work and really, everybody on the left, they shouldn't be going to journalism. They should go into marketing. They are so good at just making up phrases and colloquials. So, our first one on 2020 is that WAPO finally fact-checked and gave Pinocchios to, to Harris and... I could read this article, but I just want to say to anybody out there who believes the hype you're reading over on uh, fucking goddamn Twitter, um, let, let's do a math class really quick. If during the year for taxes, I don't give as much money to the government and I keep more money in my paycheck because the tax level has gone down why would I get the same amount I got under Obama at the end of the year it's like a jar if I'm putting a quarter in every paycheck at the end of the year I have a thousand or 52 or 26 quarters right 26 quarters but now I'm only putting 15 cents in I will have basically $2.60 less in that jar. So when I do my taxes and if I don't make any money, I'll get the 15 cents back for 26 weeks or 26 pay periods. It's a really fucked up math problem, but it's a simple concept. Under Bush, we paid less. Under Obama, your tax rate went up for everybody other than the super poor. Now, you're still going to get your earned income credit and all the other crazy shit, liberal stuff that's written in, because I don't think they got wrote out. So you're going to get the free money that you got because you just didn't make any money that liberals put in to try to pander for votes. But you're not paying that quarter. So you're not getting that quarter back. You're paying less. But they're running all over the Internet as much as they can and every one of their political speeches saying you are getting your money taken from you and handed to corporations and rich people. No, that's not how it worked. It's not how it ever worked. Actually, the rich people were paying more in, and that's where they could get that money to hand you for earned income credit and child fucking leave and all this fucking, or child health care and all the things that liberals wrote in under Obama for tax refund purposes. It's not there that way in the opposite you're not giving money to them you're just not getting as much money back because you didn't pay as much money in under obama i was a low six-figure person you added up what i made what you add up which was a really good salary not saying i wasn't living comfortable my wife's salary and my pension i was paying 19 percent tax i was filing single Married, single, zero. Getting the max amount you can get taken out of every check 
And every year under Obama, I paid a thousand to three thousand dollars for my tax return because it still wasn't enough. So I was paying nineteen, twenty thousand dollars in total taxes, but I'd only have seventeen thousand or eighteen thousand taken out of my paycheck. He was taking more. I don't understand why the media and the whole media, just not Kessler, isn't pointing out to fucking people who don't remember math class that you didn't put that much money in the goddamn jar. And they're lying. It is a tired, old, liberal lie that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because conservatives. Last time I checked under Obama, the rich got richer and the poor didn't move anywhere unless they got lucky and got a better job. That's life. That's how it is. Because I don't give a fuck what the little letter behind the name is. Every politician must get corporate backing. Every politician needs those rich motherfuckers to finance their goddamn campaigns. I mean, we have showed on this show that there's not a single liberal candidate ever who didn't run out to Hollywood and pander to fucking the rich and elite or to Silicon Valley and suck that ass. I mean, fucking Hillary even had one on our goddamn campaign. So yeah. Rich got rich under Obama. He didn't give their money to you like you said he would. But maybe Sanders will hook you up, which is our next person. We must look at climate change as if it were a devastating military attack against the United States and the entire planet. I mean, we must respond accordingly. So I guess we're going to war with the sun. I want to see how that works in Soviet land. Cher busting on Sanders. One thing I honestly don't understand about Bernie Sanders' plan. How does he pay for it? Everything he promises, how will he get Republicans to change their core values and vote with Dems? Obama couldn't get a Supreme Court justice because McConnell blocked him for a year. Trump picked three. Oh, those are part of our screen. But at least there's somebody out there on the left that literally said it. How's he paying for it? There's a video that's viral of some dumbass who racked up $226,000 in student loan debt to be a speech pathologist that only makes $60,000 a year. What the fuck, Chuck? Seriously. Did you take math? Big thing that's rolling around, Bernie Sanders was kicked out of a hippie commune because he was too lazy. That's all over Twitter. Stephen Miller, socialism. Bernie Sanders buys his third house the same day that was put out. How many yachts do billionaires need? How many cars do they need? Give us a break. You can't have it all. Hmm. Yeah. You're rich, Bernie. Ryan Savandra. I've reached out to Omar multiple times on if she condemns notorious anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan, if she thinks Hoda Muthan, who left the U.S. for ISIS, should be allowed back. She said nothing. Nothing. Haven't seen a tweet yet. We're all looking for it. But we did find Tlaib losing her mind over a bar crawl. Click. Going fat up top to receive event. Details like tickets launch, taco eating contest, and ticket package, including free tacos. Awesome swag. It was a huge thing. This is some racist bullshit. Yep, I cursed again. Get over it right here. Who is sponsoring it? One Michigan can help organize some of us to call it out because I guess a bar crawl eating Mexican food is now racist? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, what's the next one? That's more of the same. I'm ignoring that. Congresswoman Omar just retweeted a criticism of her anti-Semitic tweet, which said she might as well call us hook-nosed. But she's not anti-Semite. It's just conservatives. Okay. I'm, I'm down with that. This congressman loves the swamp, leads us in to our AOC. And this is good fucking shit. I'm going to read the article. Last Friday, my mentions died for your sins. I posted a screen grab of Riley Roberts' house Microsoft Outlook card, including his official HouseGov email address, office phone number, and his designation as staff. Roberts is the boyfriend of Alexander Arcasia. The congresswoman was upset, throwing caution to the wind. She stormed into my mentions, asserting this is just a way to give Mr. Roberts access to her official calendar. Her chief of staff, Sakika Kakalala, soon followed, reiterating the calendar claim and accusing me of doxing Mr. Roberts, which is okay. Um, if you're conservative, and his official government address. Neither AOC nor Chabrata said why Roberts needed access to her official calendar. Regardless, hordes of her howling minions followed. It was briefly suspended for Twitter, revealing personal information only to be released with an apology when I pointed out that everything I posted is government property and public. My parole papers. My brief stint as a digital political prisoner turned into something of a cause celeb on the right, inviting wave upon wave of mega enthusiasts to battle back on my behalf against the force of digital socialism. My timeline is still a wasteland. During my suspension, I talked to a congressional spouse, a few reporters, and some staffers from both parties. AOC hasn't exactly been winning friends lately, which is how I got Robert's Outlook screen grab in the first place. A rumor on the Hill was circulating that Roberts had attended a Congressional Progressive Caucus meeting. A tipster looked to see if he'd been given staff credentials. It appeared he had. All agree that this is irregular if he was just a spouse. Per the House Admin Office, a family member can, in special circumstances, get a House.gov email address. But Roberts is not a family member, and although AOC refers to him as his par- her partner in November last year, she omitted him from her mandatory candidate financial disclosure of 17 and 18. Perhaps they've gotten married since. If so, if he is her spouse now, we should see her financial disclose along with hers in her 2019 disclosure form due in May. But to be clear, AOC did not disclose Robert's finances as a spouse during her campaign. Regardless, absent a waiver from the House Ethics, family members have to be volunteers. AOC's office apparently doesn't believe in being unpaid workers, as according to Chicago Bakaki, they have no volunteers in their office. So Roberts is designated as a staff, but also isn't on AOC's staff, even though he showed up on Friday morning in the House directory as processing her personal office as a staffer. In other words, his staff status, like a spouse status, is akin to Schrenner's cat. This ought to have been enough to make it clear that AOC's story didn't add up, but more importantly, I clearly hit a nerve. Her chief of staff spent much of the day in my mentions, insisting that everything was on the up and up with Roberts instead of asking if Roberts had been supplied with a badge and a pen appropriate to congressional spouse, evidence of which her office should have been able to produce easily. AOC's worshipful stenographer in the press went into overdrive, witlessly repeating her talking points. Jeff Stein at WAPO even woke up Saturday to keep it going in my mentions, as did Chabarati himself. And of course, AOC has decided to get into it. That's a lot of time and effort spent refuting a GOP consultant known to a tiny corner of the internet for posting cat pictures and bitching about doctrine of colloquial branches. 
So I went to the FEC, did a little search, and discovered that, lo and behold, there's more to the story. It's always that way, and that's why the media and the left spin and project so much on everything. Now, during the original kerfuffle, some folks noticed that AOC's campaign had paid Roberts $1,750. That's not quite what transpired. Roberts was paid only as a means of keeping accounting in order. In the first half of 2018, Roberts did some free work for the campaign. That work got put on the books as an in-kind contribution and the discharge as an expenditure for accounting purposes. That's normal. It's a way to keep people from circumventing federal contribution caps by providing discounted or free services. But that's not the only political work Roberts essentially did during the cycle. Nor would it be the first time Chabrakaki has hired Roberts. He's done so at least once before in 17, although it's unlikely Roberts was hired to do any actual work in that case. At the beginning of 2017, Chabakarti created brand new Congress, an organization dedicated to shaking things up in Democratic primaries. It's a rather ingenious organization, but one that dwells in a legal gray area as far as campaign fine law is concerned. It facilitates campaigns on shoestring budgets by providing a single clearinghouse for campaign services, generally filed under the banner of strategic consulting. But as a result, it limits the meaningfulness of FEC disclosures by those campaigns. Additionally, it means that brand new Congress, unlike most PACs, spend most of its budget on overhead and makes relatively few actual contributions to candidates. Additionally, brand new Congress is not one thing, but rather two. It's a non-qualified political action committee, a PAC, that can raise and bundle campaign contributions for candidates. Donations and expenditures for PACs, like those to and by candidates, are publicly disclosed. However... Brand New Congress is also an LLC owned by Chapakarati that provides campaign services to candidates to help lower the barriers to entry. LLCs do not have to disclose or itemize their spending. Here's Chapakarati's own write-up, and she explains that that's why she did it. From Brand New Congress PAC fact page, this is a clever way to try to make running for office easier and place a lot of small bets on a lot of insurgent candidates and hope for a few lucky wins. And that pretty much seems to be what's happening. According to FEC records, the PAC was founded in January 2017. At the end of February, it affiliated with Justice Democrats, a collaboration between Chaba Karate and Chunk Unger from the Young Turks. The two organizations are inextricably linked. Chabraka Karki lists himself as the co-founder of the brand new Congress and Justice Democrats on his LinkedIn page. <clears throat> Over the course of the cycle, just Justice Democrats would pay brand new Congress $605,849. They would also share an address. In May, brand new Congress changed the address from his custodian records to 714 South Gay Street in Knoxville. In August, it switched address again, but in December, Justice Democrats registered at the address. AOC also used the Knoxville address in her first candidate filing, which incorrectly registered her run in New York. And there's her filing, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Knoxville. Five days later, she switched to 14th District and addressed her campaign committee registered to an address in Bronx, Two months after that, the campaign committee address was changed to South Gay Street as well. A quick tour through AOC's campaign expenditure reveals the extent to which 
brand new Congress midwifed her campaign into existence precisely as the fact described. But AOC's campaign was different from other backed by brand new Congress and not simply because she won. Like other candidates, AOC paid brand new Congress LLC for strategic consulting in her case $18,880. Unlike in other cases, brand new Congress PAC turned around and paid her boyfriend as a marketing consultant. Indeed, while brand new Congress PAC 10 largest expenditures were paid to brand new Congress LLC for strategic consulting, a sum that totaled $261,000. Its 11th and 12th largest expenditure were paid to Riley Roberts. Brand new Congress PAC paid Roberts $3,000 on August 9th. Payments for brand new Congress PAC to Riley Roberts. 18 days later, AOC paid brand new Congress $6,191. A month later, brand new Congress PAC then turned around and paid Riley Roberts another $3,000. Whywood Chabakarti, a founding engineer at Stripe and a wealthy veteran of Silicon Valley, be hiring a no-name ex-experienced guy with little discernible marketing experience to serve as brand new Congress's PAC sole marketing consultant. The answer seems to be that Chabakarti was funneling money paid to him by AOC campaign back to Roberts and by extension to AOC. At the beginning of October, more than four months into her campaign, AOC's fundraising had been anemic, excluding an in-kind contribution from Chabakarti. She'd raised only $3,000, but had already spent $27,500, more than half of which she paid to Chabakarti's brand new Congress. By the end of 2017, she spent $37,249, but raised only $8,000. That's a lot of money to stick on a credit card. Since no loans are recorded on our campaign books, presumably either AOC or Roberts was fronting the necessary cash. It looks to me like Chabacardi was effectively reimbursing AOC for third of her expense with brand new Congress, perhaps so that she could stay in the race despite her mounting debt. The shadiness of the whole business may also explain why Roberts lists his residence as Arizona for expenditures rather than New York. Roberts is from Arizona but was living in New York with AOC. And other contributions to her campaign, both cash and kind, <clears throat> list New York as his residence. Regardless of whether or not Roberts was officially AOC spout at the time, it seems probable Charbacardi was reimbursing her for her campaign expense off the books. Brand new Congress PAC simply served as a pass-through to do so. When AOC won, she then hired Charbacardi, her strategist patron, as her chief of staff, taking money from a rich guy, trying to hide it by passing through a PAC, and then giving her benefactor a government job. That's definitely unethical and potentially illegal. Chapacardi may have made an illegal campaign contribution to excess of federal limits. Regardless, it raises questions about the hiring as AOC's chief of staff. And this goes on for a while, and I'm going to stop there. But basically, what this is, is dark money. This woman, who's lauded in the media and on YouTube and by the stupid millennial flax that don't know their head from their ass... They literally were funneling money around to pay a person. It's all illegal. It's all shady. It's all money laundering, basically. And it's against FEC rules. And that's, by definition, dark money. Nobody's talking about it. The Washington Post person that put out that big article last week, not a fucking word since Luke Thomas Thompson put this out. 
And how did AOC reply? The conspiracy machine is full effect, and it's been disappointing to watch professionals get duped, plus amplify unvetted medium posts as truth, because that's where it came from. Treating journalism like it's a high school live journal rumor mill or something. No, I don't shadily pay my boyfriend. Come on and vet. Luke Thompson. Took you 12 hours to come up with this? Yeah. And it's all over the place now. Because it's real. Jeffrey Carson. Unitemized contributions. You're correct to point out that unusually high number. That's a lefty. AG. Conservative. Here's what hasn't changed. Psychot's pack paid AOC boyfriend six grand book endings, a six grand payment for AOC's campaign to Shakakaki LLC. AOC then made Shakat her chief. How? How? Then she tried to say journalists are sharing stories about whether I live the same day as shared that myself, others are targeting by a mass shooter. All this paired with amplified, unvetted conspiracy theories. It's reckless, irresponsible, puts people directly in danger. That's how she ex- said it. That basically, you're putting me in danger because we're saying the truth. Ashley Ray Goldberg. How is accusing journalists you don't like of being complicit in terrorism any different from this tweet you condemned? She's Alex from the Bronx, don't you know? AG Conservative. Also, as a factual matter, she was not targeted by a mass shooter. She was on a list of potential targets from a crazy person. Then she tried to defend her Amazon shit, still. Not sure how many pundits talking about Amazon even read the deal. 500 plus million a deal was capital grants, 2.5 billion in tax breaks. It's fair to ask why we don't invest the capital for public use, why we don't give working people a tax break. Frankly, the knee-jerk reaction assuming that I don't understand how tax giveaways to corporate work is disappointing. No, it's not possible that I could come to a different conclusion. The debate must be over intelligence and understanding instead of the merits of the deal. But there are billboards all over the place. Thanks, AOC. Not from conservative groups. Yeah. Then she tried to do her farting cow. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how she is not getting crushed. I mean, seriously, how is she not getting crushed? That's dark money. She was paying a spouse shadily, not directly, in a roundabout manner. Wow. And then, to make matters worse, the latest from the 2020 awesome people. The ones that we need to be just listening to because they're so, so special and forward-facing. 2020 Democrats embrace race-conscious policies, including reparations. Yeah. Yeah, now they want to pay reparations. Not even a way to fucking figure out who was actually a slave, a descendant of slave, who actually owned slaves. I heard one guy, I don't know if it was John Gibson or Ben Shapiro, well, why don't you make Democrats pay for that shit? Because they're the ones that did Jim Crow, which was actually worse. 
Americans from the North have already paid for slavery because they fought and died for it. 600,000, something like that. Wasn't that what it was? I mean, Civil War was a shitload of people died. I don't think it's 600,000. Let me pause. Yeah, I was right. 646,000. Dead, wounded. They already paid. They're the ones that freed the slaves. So do you just charge the South? And why is the media not... I mean, this art, that that's a WAPO headline. They embrace race conscience policies. Yeah. Not that this is fucking absurd. Just absurd. No, that's not it. So... Instead of talking about Thompson and how important it is that we start vetting these candidates, and actually, why is the FEC not busting her for breaking campaign law, money laundering, and funneling through shady stuff, which is dark money, and why did she say dark money when she was doing dark money? No, we're not doing that. We're talking about Roseanne, who called her a bug-eyed bitch. So that's how we're going to end this segment. Go to our music break, which is the rest of the media justifying Jesse Smollett's a great guy. You'll finish the rest of that embracing Robert Roberts' real interview on a TV show. And then we're going to news, social, media nuggets. That Green New Deal that that Farrakhan-loving bitch, well, I don't even remember her name. The bug-eyed bitch that looks like a realtor. She got them realtor eyes. I can always tell by realtor eyes. She got them. Bug-eyed lion bitch. Farrakhan fan. Israel hater. Lefty. Dumbass. Dumbasses. Dumb as they get. So I'm going to try to correct some of the mistakes she's made, like costing... Hundreds of people, decent-paying jobs, because, I don't know, they breathe carbon in the air or some horse shit. She got paid to do that. Can you imagine? Paid to decimate communities. But that's what the Dems have been doing. That's what socialism does. And I just got to say it. Socialism is a fake fucking con. It's just like capitalism, but it comes from the bottom up, not the top down. It's a fucking Ponzi scheme and a con game. You know, here's why they want them immigrants. Um, First of all, because all their buddies are hiring them for less than minimum wage. That's a big draw. And second, um, because no Americans are going to vote for their ass anymore because we woke up to the shit you're doing. You see... You're decimating whole communities in inner cities while you live up there in a vineyard and a mansion. Okay, that's what socialism gets us. Well, we don't want none of that shit. Okay? We don't want what you did in Venezuela. And don't say, but the U.S. is the reason. Yeah, okay. But this is now. Yes, Angelo Dubois is dead, but I would be lying if I said that I was sorry about something that he brought on himself. You know, I almost lost my brother. But I don't see none of the press talking about this, like not once. And most recently, I almost lost the person that literally means more to me than anybody in the world. So, you know, what I've learned is that life is very short. And I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with all of this. And, and I apologize because I respect you a great deal, but I'm, I'm done. I'm done apologizing. I'm done doing stupid interviews that I don't want to do. Yes, we are done. Keith, 
you have known Jesse Smollett for years. When you heard just now what the superintendent laid out, what do you think? Well, uh, I've known Jesse for eight years, and as a African American, as a black gay man, as someone who's just watched his career develop, I feel devastated by this. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I'm hoping still, in spite of all the overwhelming evidence that's presented, that it's not true, uh, and he's still innocent until proven guilty. Because but, it's so uh, yeah, possible to believe. It's just, hard it, to believe. It's so. It, yeah, I mean, this, everything about this is hard for him to believe. The story itself was hard to believe from the beginning, but then the the reason why he would do it was hard to believe. He had he had a successful career. He he had no reason to do something like this, and the whole idea of doing it for a salary dispute just didn't make any sense. Even now, it doesn't make any sense to me. And there are a lot of instances like this that many people have seen, like myself. We've seen people. I just mentioned last night there was a guy, a black gay man, who was shot and killed here in New York City when I was the president of the National Black Justice Coalition. Mark Carson. There's a guy in in Los Angeles, Ed Buck, who 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 in his house, two black gay men died in the past two years, and he hasn't been arrested. And a lot of people in my community are thinking, this is not something we want and need. We want attention on the on the issues of black LGBTQ violence and hate crimes. We want it to be focused rightly where it should be, and we don't need a distraction like what this right now. What does Jesse do to that now, if this is true? I don't know what, how this impacts us. I think there's a, there's a lot of argument that says this makes it harder for future cases, and I understand that. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are looking for excuses to make these things harder. Uh, and people haven't paid attention to these cases in the past. They haven't paid attention to the lives of black LGBTQ people or black trans people, regardless of whether they're celebrities. The sad thing is that it took a celebrity for us to even focus attention on this. Uh, but like the police chief said, there are cases that are happening every day, and he hopes, and I hope, that people start focusing on those other cases, not just on, on this one. Reality is they were investigating it, as they pointed out, as a hate crime in the first couple weeks. I mean, personally, it was incredibly shocking on day one to see the police department call it a racist and homophobic uh, attack. Uh, their first statement, they explicitly said that and said they're investigating it as a, a victim case. Um, and as someone that has been investigating these for years in Chicago, that was really unprecedented before. Um, and a lot of the time, people on the background were worried that they were leaning into this victim um, part of the story because they didn't believe him and they wanted to use it against him at the end when they were able to prove that he was lying. Um, historically, the Chicago police has not leaked information, or information like this hasn't leaked so quickly and so rapidly in a case. Um, the police were openly confirming and not confirming certain reports and not doing it to other parts of the story. Um, so due to their vocal nature in this case, it was really peculiar. And people have a lot of reason to not trust them. I mean, as the Reverend has pointed out, the Chicago has a deep history of openly lying to citizens. Um, this police department did in 2016 openly through their union support Donald Trump and a lot of this case has been focused on the MAGA statements um, and the far rights really clung to them. So many people have felt that they've been so willing to call this a hoax is because the central question of this case was are Donald Trump supporters out here committing hate crimes and that's what really sparked a lot of attention. So to have a police department that hasn't been as cooperative as they have been this round do not openly give information do openly lie and mishold uh, information in cases, and then to know that they are openly, have openly supported Donald Trump in the 2016 election, a lot of activists on the ground are saying, wait, what's going on here? Who do we believe out of these two suspect uh, people? I want to go back to uh, Ron Mott now because he was in that scrum that 
That, I can tell you, is horrible. I've seen it uh, last night. I think that's horrible. Uh, it doesn't get worse, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Jonathan, Donald Trump even even came in and said exactly the same thing that people mm -hmm. on the left said when this first happened. Right. President Superlative at it again. I mean, look, Joy, it is the height of irony to have President Trump make any kind of comment about Jesse Smollett um, before we found out um, that it was an alleged hoax. And then he tweeted against him when it when it came out. The reason why so many people were so quick to believe Jesse Smollett and what he said and his his version of events before they all unraveled was because that man who you just played feeds into and actually stokes the atmosphere of menace and insecurity that millions of Americans feel across this country whether they are people of color LGBTQ trans people immigrants, dreamers, you just go down the list. There are people in this country who every day feel that their very existence, their own security is at stake. And so, you know, the, the president's super PAC, uh, right-wingers, far-right conservatives who are using the Jesse Smollett situation to um, rhetorically bash people who are afraid for their for their own existence in their own lives you know is really despicable and as we are talking about this and as that story was unraveling on friday all of us awoke to the story of hassan that the the guy at the coast guard the self-proclaimed white supremacist who had a cache of weapons you talked about it at the top of the show joy had a cache of weapons and a list of politicians and journalists he wanted to target and to kill this is what we're talking about this is what i'm talking about when i mentioned the atmosphere of menace we're not making this stuff up this, this is this is something man this is this is our generation man all you people are, we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's Really now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. Man, that's a lot of fucking spin. Military corner. Tim Kennedy starts us off. This is just, I guess you got to be military. So if this is anybody who's ever been in the military, you're going to get this. If you're not, you're just not going to get it. I apologize. But there are two times the military proves that they don't care about ground forces. One, every time they consider decommissioning the A-10. So true. Two, when they take our Tabasco out of our MREs. Man, when you get an MRE and it doesn't have a Tabasco, that is just a breakdown. That's just a breakdown. When they started doing that, I said, fuck it. That's how I fell in love with Texas Pete. I always have a bottle of Texas Pete. I used to carry it on me. I had an ammo pouch. That's how important it was. Ammo, extra pouch with just lickies and chewies and fucking, you know, like, Lemon drops, I used to like lemon drops when you got, got a hump a lot, your mouth gets dry, so I'd just throw a lemon drop in. Anyway, and my Mrs. Dash or garlic or whatever the fuck I was taking out in the field with me and my Texas Pete in my refrigerator at all time. And the wife's now a sycophant like I am for Texas Pete. There's always Texas Pete bottle. Biggest one you can buy. 
Army of Test Out Lighter Body Armor Plates. going to be five pounds less, which is fantastic. Special Forces are going to have its first-of-a-kind training center. They're going to have this huge pool that you put boats in, you know, the small boats, and it basically is able to simulate a hurricane. That's just fucking awesome. Always wanted to own a military tactical vehicle? Here's your chance. Uh, Gov Planet website. They are selling all these um, M11-61 ITV growlers. I guess when they started selling off um, Humvees, it really went crazy. So they're going to try this again. There's going to be the MTVR 6x6 7-ton cargo truck with a Cat C12 diesel um, it's approximately 26 feet long, 8 feet wide, and 11.5. I don't know what you're going to use it for. Um, it's a mo- prime mover. The prime mover um, also for artillery, I'm sorry, the 5777 howitzer. I guess the MTVR was the vehicle they used for that. So um, <clears throat> if you want one of those big trucks, kind of like if you're uh, Mission Barbecue, if anybody's ever been there, it's in Indiana. Uh, we have one at Clarksville now. They they have a deuce and a half in the front. So I've always wanted one. If I was independently wealthy, i got to be quite honest, I'd be snagging one. Fatal A-29 crash caused by pilot over control. This is kind of sad because we were covering that. That's the new prop close air aircraft that they're testing. And the concept is go back to prop because it could be lower to the ground, closer to the troops, yada, yada, yada. And I guess when he dropped the bomb, it was a 500-pound bomb, and he turned hard right. It was on his left wing, and it made it flip over. Um, the co-pilot got out, but the pilot died. So um, we're going to go into our college crazy with a soundbite, because I kind of liked it last time. Would they not be allowed to organize on campus? Well, we do have an answer for you. Emma Mershall is with us. Uh, she's a campusreform.com correspondent. Okay, Emma. A group, conservative group, they want to come to Syracuse, and the Syracuse says no. You tell us why. Syracuse's reason is that the Constitution is too exclusionary. And here's why that's bunk. We have a current situation in the United States where we have so many people who want to come to our country and live here that we don't know how to properly process all of them coming here. So calling the Constitution exclusionary is not just false, but it's actually an insult to all of the people whose rights have been protected by this Constitution since it was written. This is one of the most influential documents in history and the most influential, certainly, when it comes to protecting individual freedoms and civil rights. What's really behind this. What, what, what's going on? Look, you, it's ridiculous to say you can't come in here because you support the Constitution. That is ridiculous. But what's behind this challenge? What's behind this is an anti-American sentiment on college campuses, which unfortunately is seen as highbrow. Mm. And at the Leadership Institute's campus reform, we've been reporting that this is happening across the country. Michigan State University Student Government Association recently shot down a proposal to put more United States flags on campus, and their reasoning was because they said that the flag is not inclusive enough. And also at Santa Barbara City College, we recently reported that there was a professor who wanted to say the Pledge of Allegiance during during a board of trustees meeting and she was booed out of the meeting. So it's important that we cover these issues because really what's at hand here is an anti-American epidemic on our college campuses. I thought that, that I, I agree with you. I thought I, I know that there is an epidemic, uh, epidemic of this nonsense. 
but I thought it was beginning to recede. I thought the voice of reason was beginning to be heard and that this kind of nonsense would be just laughed out of court. And obviously I'm wrong. Well, occasionally you are correct because in the case of Celeste Barber, who was the professor that was booed out, she went on Fox and Friends and once Fox News covered this issue, the board actually went back on their decision immediately. But we have to constantly be working to expose these instances. That's why we do what we do at Campus Reform because when we do tell the truth about these instances, um, the truth will set us free and sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yes. So it's important that we're constantly talking about these issues so that they don't go unnoticed. Well done, Emma. That was an articulate statement of what on earth is going on at Syracuse, and I really hope that because you're on Fox, we can get some kind of reversal of this nonsense from the authorities at Syracuse University. We're certainly going to try for it. Emma Michel, thank you very much for being on the show today. We appreciate this. Thank you very Great much. Great to be here. Sure Thanks. thing. There'll be more Varney after this. Same old, same old. UF Valentine Day Consent Fair, where all, we all contribute to rape culture. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to get into what they said. Uh, we all, as people, contribute to rape culture, whether we realize it or not, the Strive supervisor said. So that means what we hear in music, it's in the media, it's everywhere, and so what happens is we all see it, and we take it in, and the catchy tune is in your head, and you're singing it, and you're going along with it. But the problem is, it's normalizing these behavior. Among the materials distributed by Johnson and Strive were comics that encouraged students to use will-won't-want chart with their partner to have written documentation of specific sex acts to which they consent. I'm not reading anymore. I'm not reading anymore. Jesus fucking Christ. Syracuse, U.S. Constitution is exclusionary to some students. Syracuse Office of Student Activities denied YAF's application. It's the soundbite we played. Sharon's statement, which is a statement of support for U.S. Constitution. Um, Syracuse took issue with Sharon's statement, alleging that adhering to it violates the college bo policy of non-discrimination. The board considers the Sharon statement to be contradictory to articles in title, Article 9 or 11, excuse me, statement of non-discrimination, and we heard it up front, so I'm not going to re-talk it, but what in the fucking hell? How have you gotten so far off the road that the Constitution that you people twist for everything, including maps, is exclusionary? I thought the 14th Amendment fixed everything. We covered Martina Navratilova. Well, now she's screwed. Athlete ally ambassador effective immediately. She's been dumped from the board. Massive articles. I'm not going to read them. It's, uh, I think it's summed up by David Edward. That'll learn her. That's how they're looking at it. That'll learn her. The first real gay outfit or athlete outfit what the hell does that mean um literally to come out play let everybody knew she was gay really was a pioneer for lgbt community now because she believes scientifically it's wrong for men to pretend they're women and play sports until they completely convert they shouldn't be she's a piece of shit yeah that makes somehow this all makes sense to me. It just totally makes sense. Not this one. I laughed so hard. I, I don't know if I can read a lot of it, 
but I'm going to try. Facial recognition software regularly misgenders trans people. <laughs> of course it does. I mean, it's a huge article that Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook developing these systems to do facial recognition. So when you put your face in it, because you're a guy, but you're wearing a wig and some makeup, and they can't see your falsies, it's saying you're male. Well, no shit. Unless you get a facelift, your bone structure is male. I'm so sorry. Even computers are telling you, you're weird. That's honestly fucking weird. And if you expected it not to do that, you're even stupider than I thought. So now basically, we find out even milk's racist, even computers are transphobes. God bless us. What are we going to do? Post star India Moore takes it to the next level. Trans women's penises are biologically female. The trans star wrote on February 17th that if a woman has a penis, her penis is biologically female penis. A biologically female penis is non-artificial penis, a dildo or a vibrator, that is part of the biological human woman's body for explaining the difference between genitalia and gender identity. Reproductive parts and chromosomes define the biology or gender, not your gender. Regardless of the biological makeup of a trans woman, she remains a woman with her biology, therefore defining her as a biological woman. But she's got a penis. Other great tweets. The definition of biology literally has nothing to do with the gender. Dear cis people, I hope one day evolve beyond penises and vaginas. Whole articles for this lady. Because somebody cares what she thinks. Or he thinks, really. This made me want to fucking cry, literally. New song wonders why we don't celebrate abortions with showers. Yeah, like a baby shower. It seems like abortion activists are getting more brazen and pushing their agenda to normalize and celebrate abortion every day. American singer Amanda Palmer, the article says you never heard of her. I never heard of her either. Released voicemail for Jill on Tuesday announcing matter-of-factly on Twitter, this is my new song, it's about abortion, along with a link to the audio. I'm not even going to play it because I would not support this idiot. Her tweet is my new song, voicemail for Jill. Jill, it's about abortion, it's going to be, there will be no intermission, the album I'm putting out March 8th. Palmer Croons. Life such a bitch, isn't it? When you have a baby, they throw you a party, and then when you die, they get together for a cry. But no one's going to celebrate you, no one's going to bring you a cake, and no one's going to shower you with flowers. The doctor won't congratulate you. No one on the pavement going to shout at you that your heart also matter. So she wants a party after having an abortion, just like a pregnant woman gets a baby shower. The rest of the lyrics... You don't need to offer the right explanation. You don't need to beg for redemption or ask for forgiveness. You don't need a courtroom inside of your head where you're acting as judge and accused and defendant and witness. It's a strange grief, but it's grief. Look at all the women in the street. You know the statistics, Jill. Even though they might not help, isn't it amazing how we can never tell who is in an identical hell? 
The song ends with Palmer telling her friend she'll be home next week and offering to throw her the best abortion shower. I can bring some friends if you want us to come. We can bring you cake and we'll bring you flowers. We can bring you wine and we'll talk for hours. Do you cut up the fetus cake with a fucking chainsaw or something? Seriously? And then this week, showing that you can never be woke enough, Chelsea Clinton complains her grandmother did not have access to Planned Parenthood. You understand, if your grandmother had access to Planned Parenthood, your mom would never be born and neither would you, you fucking moron, because that's what Planned Parenthood is. It's not about fucking screenings or pap smears or any of that shit. It's about abortion. It's what they do. And Illinois and Vermont have now done it. They now have full laws, allow abortion for any reason through all nine months, eliminate any restrictions on where abortions can be performed, allow non-physicians, including nurses and physician assistants, to perform abortions both surgically and medically. Undermine and threaten institutional and individual right to conscience. Jeopardize any meaningful regulation of abortion clinic. Require private health insurance policies to include coverage for all abortions with no exceptions. Even for churches and religious organizations. Eliminate any requirement to investigate fetal deaths or maternal deaths resulting from an abortion. Repeal law prohibiting kickback for abortion referrals. Repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act of 1995, which has been responsible for reduction of more than 55% of abortions among Illinois minors. So now, basically, any reason... Fuck your religion. You don't have any rights. And neither does that baby. And I pair it with Becca. B-E-C-C Cobain. Lita Strusant was born at 21.4 weeks and weighed 14.4 ounces in 2014. And she's a beautiful girl. But the Trump administration countered New rule for separation of funding and facilities for programs of form abortions or refer women to themselves. This was a Title X program. It's been, been reinstated. There's no freak out yet because it just happened uh, yesterday. So, good for them. Good for them. California Democrats author bill to protect sex offenders who lure minors. Here we go. It's map time. State Senator Scott Weiner. Uh, no relation, and Assemblywoman Susan Eggman, and on this story, I'm doing what the media does. I'm not saying Democrat, because this is a horrible story, so you already know it's Democrats. I mean, that's how the media does it. Introduced recent legislation to end blatant discrimination against LGBT young people regarding California's sex offender registry. However, under their bill, SB 145, the offenders would not have to automatically register as a sex offender if the offenders are within 10 years of age. Wiener claims the current law disproportionately targets LGBT young people for mandatory sex offender registration since LGBT people usually cannot engage in vaginal intercourse. That's what he's saying. Wiener says currently for consensual Yet illegal sexual relations between a teenager age 15 and over and a partner within 10 years of age 
Sexual intercourse, i.e. vaginal intercourse, does not require the offender to go onto the sex offender registry. Rather, the judge decides based on the facts of the case whether sex offender register is warranted or unwarranted. By contrast, for other forms of intercourse, specifically oral and anal, sex offender registration is mandated under all situations with no judicial discretion. This bill would authorize a person convicted of certain offenses involving minors to seek discretionary relief from the duty to register of a person is not more than 10 years old. Proposition 35 was created in the past to protect children from sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. Victims of sex trafficking are often vulnerable children, afraid of the lives and abused, the proposition says. Also under 145, legislator Wiener and Eggman say they are trying to shield these people, but their bill does much more. SB 145 would allow a sex offender who lures a minor with the intent to commit a felony, a sex act, the ability to escape registry as a sex offender as long as the offender is 10 years of age of the minor. No specification is made to whether the sex offender is straight or gay. It would add a section in the penal code stipulating that along, as long as the offender is not more than 10 years older than the minor, they are not automatically mandated. There is no limit or range specified except for existing law, which already excludes lewd acts with children under 14. SB 145 appears to allow adults to victimize minors by luring them with the intent to have sex and then shields the predator from being automatically registered as a sex offender, as is in the case of a 25-year-old during a 15-year-old for sex or a 22 for a 12. As written, appears to allow certain predators to live among the population without anyone being aware. What in the fuck is wrong with these people? What? That is just, that's the map. It's fucking map. They're pushing for the minor attracted person into law. And who gives a fuck about vaginal intercourse? If you're 24 and the person's 14, that's rape in most states. You just did it to appease liberal votes? I mean, or do you think this is actually something we should be doing? That's that's what I don't know. With the morals from the left, I believe it's something they think they need to do. That it's okay. Nothing wrong with having teenagers have sex with adults. Because under your law, as a 20-year-old, I can butt-fuck a 10-year-old. That's what you just said. Because it's wrong if I'm a gay man to not be able to butt-fuck a 10-year-old. That's what you're saying. What the fuck is wrong with you? How fucking fucked are you to come up with a law like that and think that's judicial prudence? Sweet fucking Jesus. It makes the next article not seem as crazy. But it's on the same genre. Swedish feminists demand state ban on dangerous sex robots. Because I guess women won't have sex? I mean, what the fuck? This is the left, man. They go on these tangents and I just stare at them like, okay, wait a minute. All men are rapists we just talked about on Valentine's Day, so we can't have Valentine's Day. And now you're fucking saying that you can't have robots 
Why? So women can get raped? Because that's what you say. All men are raping women. We're a rape culture. Shouldn't you want them raping robots? That'll be a thing. There'll be a new law. No raping robots. Those robots have fucking hard drives and you're fucking... Ba- oh, you're ruining their hard drives with your hard drive. Get it? <laughs> I don't fucking know where we're going, man. I don't know where we're going. The music in the background doesn't even facilitate it. And it's new music. I search new music. But I, I just don't... I What the fuck? 2019 most sinful states. This was based on Wallet Hub vice for porn anger and hatred jealousy excess and vice greed lust vanity and laziness and they say nevada florida california texas tennessee louisiana georgia illinois michigan arizona nebraska or arizona are the top 10 that's what they're saying and nebraska north dakota maine and vermont are the least Okay. We'll, we'll work on that. I don't think so. Then this article, I'm not going to read it. Uh, supposedly said, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. Somehow in a Rolling Stone article that somebody pulled out in 1971. And I was going to pair the mayor of Tennessee or the governor of Tennessee with this article. But I didn't. I pushed it forward. Because it's the same logic. We're going back to the 70s. And somehow, some way, John Wayne's a piece of shit now. Not only for saying that, but crudeness of his actions towards gay, black, Native American, young liberals, and sex robots. Yeah. It's not in the article. I added it. That we need to get rid of John Wayne Airport. It's got to go away because the Duke's a fucking piece of shit now. Liberals. I love you. I just love you. Without you, I would not have a news and social media nugget section of just crazy sexual perversion and causes that sum up, we just got to have a cause. Every week, we got to come up with a new cause. We got to get excited about it and freak the fuck out. And I didn't put it in here, but I got it for next one for Matt in Oregon. A whole section on Portland. It's just crazy as fuck. Crazy shit with Antifa. Andy NGO did a great thread on it, and it'll be our next news and social media nuggets. It'll probably take up most of it. You fucking people. So we're going to go into a lighter fare. Our first soundbite is going to be a grandma who shot a motherfucker and a little kid who shot a motherfucker. I think it's funny because the, the word motherfucker was used. Enjoy. open it so he could see me. I don't think he saw me, but I saw him and I peeked through the window and I had the, the gun like this. And that's when I said, mother, I'm going to blow your damn brains out. Exactly what I said. I told him I was going to kill him all that with a gun if he didn't get out of my house. 11-year-old Chris Gaither was home alone Wednesday morning when he heard a noise. Someone had broken into his house. Scared, Chris grabbed a 9mm handgun. When he's come downstairs and told me he's going to kill me and F you all that. The intruder made it out the front door with a hamper in hand. That's when Chris started firing off bullets. As the intruder was to jump this fence, Chris's 12th and final shot hit the bad guy in the leg. I shot through a hamper that he was carrying. and It, went, it was a full metal jacket bullet. I went straight through the bag and hit him in his leg. And he started crying like a little baby. A baby 
That learned his lesson. You want to pull the gun out on him, I guess he didn't think it was a real gun because he, he didn't worry about it. He just kept on walking. The police have not released the name of the suspect, but Chris's mother says this man has robbed their house before. They don't know him personally. Chris credits his stepdad for his shooting skills. Yeah, I play zombies for target practice. Turns out there's more than a basset hound on guard. I hope you learned a lesson from coming to this house trying to steal stuff. In Talladega, Kyle Berger, WVTM 13 News. He was crying like a baby. I, you know, part of me as a gun owner is why is 11-year-old getting his hands on a gun uh, that it's open, but sounds like he was taught how to shoot it, and in this case, it was good that he got his hands on it. I wouldn't suggest it, but looked like it worked out. Port Ritchie mayor shot at deputies serving warrant for illegal medical practice. That is in Pascal County. I just thought it was funny. The mayor got shot at. Somebody stumbled across 404 error pages, and they these are kind of funny because they did for candidates. For Bernie, you've we've run into a huge problem. In a picture of Bernie. For Hillary, it's trying to get where you want to go. This page isn't it. But while you're here, why don't you be a volunteer? And then Trump's. And it is, this is, uh, oops, this is awkward. And it's a picture of Hillary Clinton. And I thought that was so fucking funny. Oh, my God. Other funny stuff is Captain Marvel. We covered it before. They're dropping the forecast. So she puts out some of the negativity is due to Larson taking in feminist terms to describe the film. But then she took things further. She mentioned how there were so many white males and press junkets. And she had to just try to clarify what she meant. Friends of Instagram, there are complicated times. I know that we all do not share the same view on current affairs. That is the beauty of our country. It is how we learn and grow. No one person can see the whole picture, so we need to work together and pull our resources and figure out what is true as one. I understand a few of you do not agree with some of the content I share. That is okay and welcomed. What I ask, though, is in the future, when you disagree with what I share, instead of calling me elite, ignorant, or any of your other choice words, to instead remember, I am on your side. I want our country to be strong and prosperous. Take a breath and kindly share an article. Explain with facts why you disagree. Unlike what we do, because, you know, I'm a liberal. I don't have to. Um, Take a breath and kindly disagree. Explain the facts why you disagree. Help us learn together. Name calling does not make me hear your argument as sound. It only works to keep us angry, misunderstood, and divided. I appreciate your thoughts and would like to know more about them without hate. So right now, it's rated as 53 on Metacritic. But what they're doing is the backspin. This is just like Emily Bloom on Sicario. You go out and insult the intended audience, white, geeky males, for comic books, and say you don't want a bunch of white people, and then you call them, what? The Guardian. Captain Marvel. Why sexist attempt at sabotage will fail. Patrick Holt. Read my February 21st comics newsletter featuring Captain Marvel. Why sexist attempt at sabotage will fail. Megan, higher, further, faster. Earlier views of Captain Marvel are glowing. Please go see it if you can. But scanning through the early raves, there's a noticeable pattern. Katie Byrne. These are all women, you notice. Cat people will love this film. That's the first thing she said. Cat. 
severely, truly magnificent, magnificent music for 90 kids. Carol's hero moment was very cathartic, true to the female experience. The MCU feels more complete now that Carol's in it. Yolanda Machado, I fucking love it. Thanos, a woman. Captain Marvel's a hit, as a lot of us have been trying to tell a small crowd of folks. Please do not hesitate if you're thinking of seeing the film. It's going to leave you very happy and hoping for more, much like The Guardian. Just seems curious with the female power message and after Brie Larson calls for fewer male press members that most of these glowing reviews Twitter is showing comes from female, studio-friendly voices. May actually be reflective of the overall impression, but when you have press misidentifying male reaction, it looks a touch coordinated to see this wave of female reviews. Then there is this other component. It's curious. There's a cat in the film. The cat is an important part of the film. There's noted amount of enthusiasm for a cat in this film. Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson describe perfect partner. Marvel Entertainment. 19 won the beat. It's pretty dang unanimous. Everyone and their mother and their mother's cat love the latest entry of Marvel. Affinity bars. Captain Marvel viewer reactions are out. And they're talking about the cat. That just means the movie's beyond great, right? Kate Embred. Despite a rough start, perhaps more accurately, a purposely confusing one that does tie back into its original story, it settles into propulsive action, snappy cast chemistry, an inspirational hero tale that never hits its audience over the head, and truly spes superior cat acting. Jimmy to O. Have a good time with Captain Marvel. Enjoyed the cast. Appreciate the heart of it all. Although I think the cat may be my favorite thing. It's probably not good that the cat is what people are talking about. Cat. It's all about the cat. But if you wouldn't have opened your yapper, you wouldn't have opened your yapper and disparaged your entire audience and then spin it as they're the sexist. Maybe you wouldn't have problems with the review. But more importantly, if everybody's coming away with the cat is great, maybe Brie Larson's not that great. Because if you're talking about the cat more than her, you get a problem. I mean, it, it's just forever this way. Um, I'm going to do our This is America. But don't worry. On the back side of this, I'm going to do something to totally destroy these people. And it ties into our very beginning of this show. As I said it would. The most horrible, extreme thing I've heard. And these are two different places in the country. One's Nebraska and one is undetermined. It's a city council meeting. This is how extreme the left is. And it's truly, truly sad. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I am here to speak against the board president's decision to discontinue the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance at trustees' public meetings. At my request, the trustees reinstated the pledge last summer. 
I am asking that Board President Miller rescind his decision. I am going to recite it now because the flag is hidden. Because the flag is hidden, I'm holding up a flag. I would ask anyone who would like to stand with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all Senator Groney wants to talk about the meaning of respect. What do white people mean by it and what do black people mean by it? White people mean we got to bow down to what they tell us as black people to bow down to. I don't come here for this rag every day and it's a rag. That's all it is to me. When you show a way to persuade Jews to sanctify and worship the swastika, when you show me that, I'll come up here and stand while you all hypocritically pretend that rag is something that it definitely is not. The flag's a rag, and somebody talking about the Pledge of Allegiance gets them so mad that they freak out about things. What? I mean, I think if Americans would think, you know, I, I put this in as an example, Joe Biden. Former election interference is not only a serious threat to our democratic institution, it's a threat to our national security. Russia and other authoritarian regimes are actively seeking to try to change outcomes of our democratic elections, and we can't allow that to happen. Rodney Doss, the 1980s called and want their foreign policy back. Isn't that it, Joe? I think if people actually thought for themselves and got out of the bubble... My destroying of these people and AOC and Omar and all the extremists and our media, just how extreme they are. This skit, and, and once again, apologies to Zach in Tennessee and Matt in Oregon. You, you both sent me good stuff, some serious and some lighter fare, but I'm going to use them, I promise. They're on a folder. There are next lighter fares. Unfortunately, in downloading everything you sent me, I lost some of who sent what. So I'm going to try to go back and fix it and get proper recognition. So I'm just recognizing both of you. I had this one set up to be the closing soundbite, which kind of defends, you know, defeats the This Is America, the last soundbite, uh, which I changed kind of the <clears throat> verbiage there just because of this. I think it's, it's good to end on a positive note. And this was Black Jeopardy on SNL in 2016. And I really want you to listen to this, because I think if you really break it down and people got out of their bubbles, and they stopped reading the media, if you stop going to Twitter and Facebook pages and things like that that just totally fulfill your worldview, you see that the people that win these elections, Black, Latina, the normal Black, Latina, white people, middle to low income. We're more alike than these politicians in the media say to divide us so that Democrats can win elections. We're way more alike. This is Black Jeopardy. 
Yeah, what up? What up, what up, what up? Welcome to Black Jeopardy, the only TV game show where the audience is in church clothes. <laughs> I'm your host, Darnell Hayes. Our contestants are Keely. Hi. Shanice. Okay, now. And Doug. How are you doing, sir? Oh, man. <laughs> Doug, you should be ready to play Black Jeopardy? They told me a fella can win some money, so let's win me some money. Get her done. Well, I admire your confidence. Let's see our categories. We got big girls. Mm, I don't know. You better. I'm going to pray on this. They out here saying, and as always, white people. Okay, Keely, you're our returning champ. You pick. Okay, let's do you better for 200. Okay, the answer there. You need hot sauce, duck sauce, soy sauce, and safety pins. Keely. What is, you better take your ass to the kitchen and look in the packet drawer. Yeah, yeah, the packet drawer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, every kitchen's got one, you know. Okay, let's stay with you better for 400. Okay, the answer. Your job wants to take $40 a month out of your check for a 401k. Shanice. What is, you better give me that money so I can buy me some scratch-offs. Yeah, you damn right. <laughs> you damn right. I mean, why do I need a retirement plan when I got Monopoly Millionaires Club? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I play that every week. Yeah, well, that's good for you. Okay. <laughs> the board is yours, Shanice. Let's go with they, be, they out there saying for 200 Okay, the answer... They out here saying the new iPhone wants your thumbprint for your protection. Oh, okay then, Doug. Well, what is, I, I don't think so. That's how they get you. Yes! <laughs> yes! That's it. Yes, I don't trust that. Me either. No, I read that goes straight to the government. Mm. Well, that is not bad, Doug. <laughs> uh, the, the board is yours. Well, let's go over to, mm, I don't know, for four. Okay, the answer there, he says his dog doesn't bite. Shanice. What is, mm, I don't know, he got teeth, don't he? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Anything with teeth, you know. Anything with teeth. Let's stick with, mm, I don't know, for six. Okay. Caitlyn Jenner says she belongs on the cover of Essence magazine. Keely. What is, mm, I don't know. You can't do everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, there, there was a time. Absolutely. You know, there was a time. Right. Oh, yeah, I, I remember, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's go to they out here saying for eight. Okay, the answer there. They out here saying that every vote counts. Oh, Doug again. What is, come on, they already decided who wins even before it happens. Yes! Yes! Months ago. That's another one we're doing. Okay, we're, uh, we're doing it. Let's try uh, they out here saying for six. Okay. They out here saying this movie doesn't deserve an Oscar. Keely. What is Tyler Perry's boo a Madea Halloween? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when that man puts on a moo moo, I'm just transported. Yeah. You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I love those movies. I bought a box set at Walmart, and if I can laugh, and pray in 90 minutes. That is money well spent. Oh, you know what, sir? I really appreciate you saying that. I like that. I really appreciate that. Oh, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. 
It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Okay. Keely, it's your pick. Let's go to You Better for Six. Okay, and the answer, the mechanic says you owe $250 for new brake lines. Doug. Well, what is, you better go to that dude in my neighborhood who'll fix anything for $40. Well, well you know Cecil. Yeah, I, well, my Cecil's name is Jim, and it fixed my refrigerator, my air conditioner, and my cat. Yeah, yeah, everybody's got a guy. Well, you all right, Doug. <laughs> um, let's just take a moment and hear about today's prizes. Johnny? Thanks, Darnell. Today's Black Jeopardy winner will receive the good chair. Granddaddy needs somewhere to sit. Give him the good chair. And car tape, the best tape for fixing your car. Car tape, it's done. Back to you, Darnell. Well, Dad, I don't know what's going on, but the board is yours. Well, thank you so much, Darnell. You people are fun. Can I say that? Is that okay? Can I say that? We'll give you a pass this time. Okay, let's go to big girls for 200. Okay, and the answer there, skinny women can do this for you. Doug. What is not a damn thing? Yeah, you know what? You know what? You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, my wife, my wife, she's a, she's a sturdy gal. Yeah. That is my man right there. Yeah, go Doug. Go Doug. The sound of the broom hitting the ceiling below us means that the party has to stop. <laughs> but, uh, Doug, I have to say it has been a pleasure. Well, you know, right back at you, my brother. All right, well, let's take a look at our final Jeopardy category, Lives That Matter. <laughs> well, it was good while it lasted, Doug. I know, I got a lot to say about this. Yeah, I'm sure you do. When we come back, we'll play the national anthem and just see what the hell happens. We'll be right back. We're more alike. We're not as different as they say. Not every white person's racist. Not every black person's part of BLM. Not every white, black, Latina, or Republican, conservative, fucking liberal, progressive, Democrat. It, it's not what they say. They say that to win elections. The media does it to get clickbait. And yes, I, I seem like a hypocrite because I highlight the excessive. And I use SNL, which is, a, I mean, I have ones where they did a cold open with them singing the hallelujah. I found out this weekend that this whole Mueller for Christmas, that came from SNL. I didn't even know it because I didn't watch. Yeah, they're horrible. But when they do something good, I'm going to point it out. And this was good. The skit with frickin' uh, Chappelle making fun of the liberals sitting in the room election night. That was good. They don't do enough of it. When they do, their ratings are up. When they do their usual eight hours of fuck or eight, 20 minutes of fucking weekend, Trump sucks, and a cold open for five minutes of Alec Baldwin, a sexist, homophobic pig who beats people up, they don't do as well. People don't watch, they don't tune in, and the ratings are going on the tank. It's not good. <clears throat> so they're already punishing themselves. But this skit was good. This skit shows that the people who voted for Trump are not much different than black Americans. 
They're poor. They struggle to make do. They think about the same conspiracy theories. It's the media and the Democrats that have told all African Americans that white people are all racist. We live in a racist country. Jesse Smollett. It's millennials who've gone through our schools and been treated like Feinstein and gone through the colleges and told them that everybody's sex is fucking pieces of shit. If people just thought for themselves, they would see it's supposed to be us against them. We the people against the elite. AOC is an elitist. She's not a normal person anymore. She lives in a high rise. She's a limousine liberal. And if you're taking your cue from them, you've really gotten off the boat. Because regardless of the D or R, progressive or con, left wing, right wing, alt left, alt right, they're accountable to us. And I think if we all went back to that, we could get things done. But we fall in the partisan divide. We allow people on CNN, MSNBC to divide us. And we get in our little tribes on issues that nothing has changed. Immigration hasn't changed. Abortion hasn't changed. Well, it's changing now with extreme laws. But nothing's really changed. And we, the people, should demand change. It's not going to come from hope and change or mega. It's going to come for us. Demanding our representatives do fucking something. Anything. And until then, we'll be right where we're at. Accomplishing nothing. Eating each other. Going on Twitter and having faux outrage. About the same fucking causes that have been going on for our entire lifetimes. I'm 51. Nothing's changed. It's still the same. My entire... When was the last time a budget was passed? Under Obama or Trump? Anybody? I don't remember. I think even under Bush, we did stippins. It's unacceptable. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and send comments or suggestions for segments to foppodcast at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Just like Jesse... I'll read it online and do the mail motherfucker soundbite. I love it. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember, check out the Facebook page for Flyover Politic at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Once again, FOP Tony Reed. Next podcast is going to be 24th of February, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, have a great week. Stay safe. I'm out here ready to jump on my boat. We've had extreme flooding. Every river's crested. It's out of control. Parts of I-40, I-65, and I-24 are shut the fuck down. You can't get in North Carolina. You can't get into Illinois. It's been really bad. And if you're north of that, you're buried in snow. So be safe. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And tune back in next Thursday for another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.